I don't know if I want to talk about the shitty Ghost in the Shell ending. Oh, I, yeah. I don't want to know what that ending is, because I do plan on seeing that movie anyway, so... <laughs> uh, dude, it's really bad. <laughs> I can't I can't wait to find out in the theater. No <laughs> like, it's... it's. I know it's... Seriously, I, I made a post about it on Tumblr, and it blew up to, like, 15,000 notes. Oh, shit. Rip my notifications. <laughs> but, like, apparently the... There's there's a couple of shitbags we're blogging it obviously, but the mm-hmm. vast overwhelming majority. And I looked through about the first eight thousand just for people <laughs> to block because it was me who got blown mm-hmm. up. And the overwhelming consensus seems to be it was worse than they ever could have imagined. I, I can't wait to see it in the theater. Yeah, right. so maybe that can be the opening stinger right there. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's but, Sox- welcome to the Soxcast. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm John Thayer, your host for the SoxCast, as always. I'm here to welcome you um, to my non-virtual several thousand miles to the north. He once punched a tree really hard. It's Rhett. Hi. How many knuckles did you break? (laughs) I'm punching trees and snow is falling out because it's fucking snowing right now. God damn it. (laughs) What have you got against trees, Rhett? I, I think what tre- he has. I love trees. I'm a tree hugger. It's okay. he's just mad that it's that it's like almost April. Yeah, and it's snowing. Yeah, it'll be snowing <laughs> into April. It's like going to snow until like seven o'clock tomorrow. Yeah, goddamn. we had we had the goddamn mother of all windstorms yesterday, like forty miles an hour average with gusts up to sixty. There's an uprooted tree in my neighborhood. Goddamn, bad. And the temperature dropped like 30 degrees, so instead of 85, it's 55. To my non-virtual several thousand miles west, she is the grave of all hope, she is the ultimate reality, she is the assassin against whom no lock will hold. It's Taylor. Yo! How you doing, Taylor? I'm doing good. Feeling good about being on the SoxCast? I'm feeling normal, great. normal, everyday, totally normal SoxCast? Oh yeah, I'm totally, I'm totally great. Did you guys know that I've always been on the SoxCast in the background. You've never heard me before, but I've always been there. Yeah, you just kind of are, yeah, like we have you in the call, and you just kind of <laughs> silently listen. Just wait. You've been waiting for the time to speak up, and now you feel called. I, I'm, I'm the girl who edits out all of the times Polly's not funny, and then replaces it with something that's amazing. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I've gone back and listened to the podcast, and it's a lot better, so that makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, so that's how I do. Uh, I also, um, I uh, well, I made your theme song. Yes, and you did the soundtrack to Her Lullaby. Yes, I did, and it was, you know, one of the best things, if not the best thing, I've ever done. That's pretty fucking great. Yeah, uh, and I'm a uh, co-host on the Socks Make People Sexy album listening club. You've been kind of a Sox faithful member for a long time. It's pretty weird. This is your first time on the Sox cast. Yeah. Um, Wait, is it? I was. Yeah, no, it's my first time on the Sox cast. Oh, weird. I know, I, right? I'm so used to hearing you on the album listening club that I didn't even realize we haven't talked on Sox cast. That's weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I was on. We, we made an, a, a Sans Ret attempt at a Metal Gear Solid two parter oh. that never came through. I heard God. that one too, like the first half of that. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, that internet uh, problems just kind of fell apart on us. Yep. Yeah. What are you going to do? 
with all that junk. All that junk inside Rhett's trunks. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to do it's, one. <laughs> makes sense. It's, it is the Sox cast. Okay. Okay, now. Taylor. Yes. What have you been up to lately? Oh, I've been up to plenty, John. Wow. Anything, like, media-related that we can go over on our media podcast consumption-ness? <laughs> I mean, you guys didn't want to just hear me lament about law school. <laughs> I mean, you could go, you could... I guess that's usually outside no. our general purview. Uh, no, let's uh, let's talk about media. Uh, okay. So Good. Uh, we've never, uh, nobody's ever talked about a video game on a podcast before. No. No, yeah, we innovated greatly. Yeah, I mean, we're kind of, you know, fucking, we're going to be in the Penny Arcade dollars. Mm -hmm. Also, also, fuck Penny Arcade, (laughs) I'm flipping off my phone. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I just want to, you know, Jerry Holkins, Jerry Holkins and Mike Ruholic, go fuck yourselves with a chainsaw. Cool. I think we can stand by that. Yeah, so let's so let's talk about a video game, guys. I think I think we might all uh, have something to say about it. Oh, I know exactly what you're going to say. Go for it. Hmm. So, Dragon Ball Z Fusions on the Nintendo 3DS. Oh. Is a. Uh, I guess it's been out in Japan for like probably almost two years, but it came out in America late last year. Okay. And it's basically a turn-based dra- RPG set in a weird Dragon Ball Elseworlds story. Weird. Does it start yeah. like regular Dragon Ball characters, or is it like a unique story with the it's, setting? It's a, it's a unique story that sort of takes place within the setting. Uh, you make okay. your own character. Okay. Uh, so it's kind of like Dragon Ball Xenoverse in that way, but Fusions works much better. <laughs> okay. I, I I love Dragon Ball Xenoverse, but goddamn, those games have problems. Fucking everyone seems to pretty much love those. That's which is pretty neat. Yeah, I don't know. I have up. only played a weird Game Boy Advance action RPG Dragon Ball game. I have not played any others. So uh, this will like be... a Legacy of Goku, probably. Probably, I think it was adapting things from the show. Yeah, that was those were direct adaptations. Uh, it was very confusing as a kid. I had trouble with it. Yeah. So, so what uh, kind of game? Tell, tell us more about fusions. Yeah. So you get to make your own character, and you get to choose your race from between Earthling, Saiyan, Namekian, uh, Majin, and uh, like Frieza's race, and other weird like aliens. That kind of stuff. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, and basically it's also like a, it's like party based. So you've got your main character, you've got original and randomly generated characters from the game, and you have like fucking 150 some, uh, unlockable characters from, uh, Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, GT, and Super. Goddamn. Is this kind of a plot based game or is it more like you know loot dungeon crawly what what's the basic flow of it all right so the basic flow of it is you're you're a young martial artist and you and your buddy found all the dragon balls and asked the dragon to put on the ultimate fighting tournament to find out who <laughs> really is the best of there ever was gotcha so the dragon does it and what he does is that he creates a pocket dimension 
that can pull in fighters from every possible reality. Damn. This sounds That's like a, a Dragon Ball Super storyline. Oh, yeah. <laughs> totally. And it's great. It's so stupid. Excellent. <laughs> it's Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> so stupid, but great. Yeah. Totally. So, can yeah. Fusion, along, can you fusion with people? You can fusion with anyone. Mm, don't they know that's just a cheap tactic to make weak Saiyans stronger? Oh, jeez. John. Ah. <laughs> uh-huh. Continue. Yeah, so that's how my character Malachite was born. <laughs> Very good. No, no, that's not that's not her name. Her name is Vacado. That sounds like Avocado. Is it exactly? Okay. Videl and Kakarot combined. Vicado. Yeah, actually, that would be pretty good. So, uh, I don't. I'm not. To- I'm not done with the game yet. I think it's like a typical like 35 to 40 hour RPG thing. Okay. But, you know, you get into all kinds of fights and, you know, meet all kinds of characters. And I think there's also, like, a subplot about the bad guys from Dragon Ball Xenoverse who are sort of like time travelers and dimension hoppers just fucking with everything. (laughs) Cool. So is this part of the Dragon Ball expanded universe now? Are these games, like, canon with each other? Uh, Dragon Ball Fusions and Dragon Ball Xenoverse are canon, I believe. Oh, wow, that's that's interesting. Well, well actually, um, I think because of some stuff that happens in Super, the canonicity of Dragon Ball Xenoverse might be in question. Uh, gotcha. There's no reason it couldn't happen, but like, there's that show raises some weird questions about like the Supreme Kai of the Universe. Gotcha. How many episodes are they into that? Oh, like, probably like a hundred. Damn. Now, I really like Dad Vegeta. Yeah, Dad Dad Vegeta is a really good aspect of it. So it seems um, like that shows a lot better than GT. GT oh, seems yeah. like the one that no one liked. Oh, GT yeah. is so fucking bad. <laughs> yeah. Damn. So, so there's a lot of Dragon Ball Super now. That's cool. oh yeah, and Dragon Ball Fusions is canon. I know that for a fact. Okay. Especially because you know now it has like the character who kind of throws a lot of what you thought you knew about Dragon Ball for a loop. Okay. So they at least were aware of that. And the combat system, like I said, it's basically like active time battle, you know, turn-based RPG stuff. Uh Uh-huh. But there's minimal, like, reflex-type challenges and, like, button-mashing beam-struggle-type things. Excellent. you know, sort of like the skill, the sudden skill-based moments you get in, like, a Paper Mario game yeah, or something like that. Yeah, that's exactly what it sounded like. So, you know, you get to swirl around an enemy if you melee attack him and try and hit him behind his guard, mm-hmm. which gives you certain bonuses. You're trying to bounce them off your other allies and get uh, party chain attacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, like I said, it's vaguely turn-based because it has, like, the Final Fantasy active time battle thing where... You could do certain things to move your turn up based on the seconds and so on. Are you moving around on the map on the battle map like a Tails game? Uh yeah, there's actually like a two dimensional plane where you can maneuver yourself around. Cool. And you can okay. get knocked out of bounds for extra damage and shit like that. Cool. Which is where like knocking them into your other allies comes in for like a pinball type effect. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so it's Hey, Mario, and also kind of that tailsy running around a field and uh, RPGing. Yeah. So, 
you've got key blasts, which can't be blocked, and there's like sort of three different versions of those. Um, you've got like your ultimate, you got like your super attacks and your ultimate, like sort of Dragon Ball Z battle rush thing where you end with a big super for free. Cool. And you can also do an ultimate fusion, which fuses your entire party into one. Mm. Wait, what? Wait, what? Yeah, yeah you can create. <laughs> I had no. to take a second. <laughs> okay, so in the story, the Ginyu Force figures out a way to do a five way fusion. Oh my god. Oh, so goodness. It's, so it's a fusion dance with five people where they do the kind of thing in a circle <laughs> while spinning around. And then they throw their hands out to the outside of the circle and throw their fingers up to the inside of the circle, but just one hand so they all touch in the middle. <laughs> so this, this really is kind of Steven Universe at this point. Oh, totally. And it creates like a... It's based on the character... I think it's largely based on the character who initiated the fusion, but it's a randomized amalgamation of all of your features. <sighs> Jesus. And it's almost always like a Super Saiyan 3. Of course. Damn. Just going for the scale. Yeah, right depending on how many depending on how many Super Saiyans you happen to have in your team. Like, gotcha. I actually use... Because I have, like, a day one edition of the game somehow, I bought it months later on the 3DS store. Mm -hmm. Uh... It's got, like, uh, characters like Super Saiyan God, Super Saiyan Vegito, okay. or Super, Super Saiyan Blue Vegito, which is, like... Sorry, did you, say, did, did you say Super Saiyan God? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so, I haven't watched Super, but it gets nuts, apparently. <laughs> like, they're okay. throwing well, that's, new that's, levels out the wazoo. That happened in Dragon Ball Z Battle of Gods, which is an awesome movie, by the way. Cool. You should actually, if you ever get the inclination, you watch the first three episodes of Super, then watch Battle of Gods and Resurrection F, because those are just the next two storylines, but better. Cool. And then you start over after the Resurrection F saga. Okay. So, That's cool. yeah, Goku and Vegeta get the ability to turn into, like, a Super Saiyan god, is what it's called. Okay. Uh, which is, like, Goku achieves it when the life force of five Saiyans, including Videl's unborn child, gives them their life force. So okay. he can send. And that way he can do battle with the God of Destruction. He still loses at the end of the movie, by the way. What? Oh, yeah. Okay. Goku, yeah, Goku loses. That's pretty badass. Like, handily. And Beerus and Whis are awesome. Cool. They're like a, they're like the kind of villains you wish you could have had in a Dragon Ball Z movie because they're uh -huh. nothing like anything that came before it. Gotcha. Isn't that the one that looks kind of like the Anubis dog thing? Yeah, he's an Anubis. Cool. cool. Uh, I think they actually play him more off like a cat, but he looks like Anubis. Cool. So yeah, so Goku achieved Super Saiyan God, and then him and Vegeta in the next movie achieved Super Saiyan God, and then they went Super Saiyan in their Super Saiyan God form. So it takes their Super Saiyan hair and their, you know, golden aura and shit and turns it blue. Okay. And that's like, you know, it was originally, they called it, this is what happens when a Super Saiyan God goes Super Saiyan. So it's like in Xenoverse, it was SSGSS, Super Saiyan God, Super Saiyan. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's a, and John, yeah. This, <laughs> and, then it, and then in Super, they just call it Super Saiyan Blue. Okay. And so when Goku's evil doppelganger from another universe shows up, he's Goku Black. Okay. 
And he can go Super Saiyan Rosé. What? Okay, now so I'm he, like, this is too so he goes, So he goes pink. And he can, like, he's, like, more than a match for the Super Saiyan Blues. And then he, like, fuses with, like, a fallen Kai and they become, like, a super god or something. Me and Naturally. John have no idea if you're bullshitting or not anymore. Look at I believe the, you. Look at the fuck up. No, I mean, I believe you, but, like, once you got to the pink aura, I'm just like, okay, I'm out. Like, this could be total fan fiction. I have no idea. Uh, and then the Hedgehog shows yeah. Shadow of the Hedgehog shows up. Yeah, no, Goku's not final yet. form, the blue thing, it's like he's just going to turn into Sonic eventually, and then go Super Sonic as that. <laughs> it's the Super Saiyan God, Super Sonic, Super Saiyan <laughs> 5. Yeah, I mean... I think I think Toriyama mostly has like a supervisory role over the story, so uh-huh. it's like a cross between DBZ and fan fiction. Uh huh. But it's all canon. <laughs> so yeah, and eventually you can also make a. They give you something like I think they call it a fusion bangle. Like Bulma creates a ring that's like sort of in between the dance and the Patara rings, where you can take it off and you defuse, but as long as you have it on, you can stay fused indefinitely. Yeah, I remember that from the original show. Well, the Patar earrings were permanent. Oh! So, and Goku Goku and Vegeta only get split up again because Boo's stomach acids dissolve them. God, that was a weird show, huh? (laughs) That was a really weird show. (laughs) I only caught, like, a bunch of the Boo stuff. So I, like, like, near the end of the show, I was like, oh, Vegeta just... Gohan just died. Vegeta just died. This is different. Yeah, the Boo saga was a lot more nuts than the even the Cell saga ever was, honestly. Yeah. I think Toriyama just ran out of ideas. Yeah. yeah. There's definitely so he's, been a crazy escalation ever since, like, the oh, yeah. stuff where, like, Cell arc was like, now everybody's a Super Saiyan, and then Fusion, and now we've got mm. the Super Saiyan gods going Super Saiyan. That's funny. <laughs> I figure if I ever want to get into it, I finally found a place where I can read the manga, so I can... If I want to do it without the filler, I can do that. Yeah. Well, rough thing about getting through the manga is that Dragon Ball Pre-Z has a lot of really gross sexist shit in the Yeah, I read first the first half. three volumes of that. Yeah, I read that. It's definitely uh, they are, there. They are so gross with the constant Bulma fan service. Yep. It's pretty weird. Yeah. So what that lets you do is that you can create permanent fusions. Okay. But, like, that's not, like, permanent, like, Vegito was supposed to be permanent, but you can take the bangle off and you defuse. So, like, they call it, like, Fusion EX. Mm-hmm. So, like, you can create a different version of Gotenks and Gogeta. You can fuse yourself with anybody else you want. There's certain, there's certain like, criteria for the compatibility and shit. Yeah. But it basically is just, like, fused with almost anybody. And there's yeah. also a, uh, like Pokemon, Digimon, rock, paper, scissors thing. All right, makes sense. So, so this sounds this sounds mostly battle focused. Oh yeah, that's fine. Yeah, there's that's, lots and of lots of cool character character customization and gotta catch them all stuff. Yeah, and yeah, there's gotta catch them all. There's random, there's semi random battles. You can you can deny almost any battle that's not part of a mission. There's like a bunch of side content, lots of side missions that you can do. Mm-hmm. Alright, cool. And yeah, so like power characters are strong against 
uh, technique characters, which are strong against speed, which are strong against power. Well, naturally. And there's uh, your like your fusion blasts are typed as well. I just I'm just still reeling from the Super Saiyan God Super Saiyan, <laughs> honestly. Oh and yeah. I'm just shortening it to Super Saiyan Blue. So then what? Can you just say Super Saiyan Blue Super Saiyan and then just shorten that again and then I'm reeling. So you're a ways into this, it sounds yeah. like Yeah. Yeah, probably about twenty five hours. Cool. It sounds I like just, a fun thing. Hmm. It lives up I to just the name up. being fusions. Oh yeah, it's a very it's a very key component. But it's a surprisingly deep RPG for what it is. Cool. And it's a non-shitty Dragon Ball Z game, which we don't get too many of. Cool. Hey, is that Game Boy Advance one good? Would I have fun revisiting that? No. Um, Damn. Uh, there's something... The second one and the... I, I hear the second one is worth playing. Okay. Because it was and, kind of entrancing. Because Dragon Ball always has had this kind of, you know, yeah. allure to it. To me, just because I watched it a little bit as a kid. And it's... It it's a, was the first thing with that huge hyper escalation and stakes where yeah. they make the characters like mega ultra powerful and everything, but still constantly have them facing foes that feel like they are infinitely outmatching them. Yeah, they conquered Earth, then they conquered space, then they conquered time, and then they conquered magic, as Toriyama put it. Damn. Because all cool. of Dragon Ball was conquering Earth. Everything up to Frieza was conquering space. Mm -hmm. Cell was conquering time because of all the time travel bullshit. And then Boo was a magic thing. Weird. <laughs> cool thing. I think time is stronger than magic. That's bullshit. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, Toriyama wanted to end the show. Like, so. I, mm. The legend always goes that he kept wanting to end the show like... Frieza was supposed to be the end, then Cell's gonna be the end, and then find Boo, okay, now it's the end, and then GT happened, and he's like, fuck this. Yeah, well, I mean, part of the reasons why GT is so bad is that Toriyama had, like, no involvement whatsoever. Yeah, yeah he was out. He's like, yeah. fuck you, I wanted, to, I wanted to do Dragon Quest art. Yeah, that's also why Dragon Ball is really interesting to me, because it's the connection with Corona Trigger and Dragon Quest. Yeah. Which I love. Yeah, his... He's got a very distinctive style, that's for damn sure. Yeah, I think it's real pretty, especially in the monster designs. Uh, he like, lo Oh, he loves a good monster. Yeah, those are pretty much fantastic. Alright. Is that good on Dragon Ball? Yeah, I think that's about everything you can get without playing the game, watching the show. Cool. Dragon Ball is weird, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. Hey, Rhett! Yeah. Have you been up to anything? Have you been up to any oh, one boy. thing? Yeah, so <laughs> this is kind of a weird all podcast right. because the one thing I played is something we all played and Polly talked about last week, so. Uh -huh. And we all still right. can't do a full spoiler cast on it because I yeah. haven't finished endings B through E yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I haven't finished I haven't finished anything past B. So um yeah. we'll need to be I careful. will speak carefully about this game. We're still very early into like. To be clear, we're talking about near autom near oh, automata. Right, yeah, no, near automata. You had it right the first time. Near, yeah, near near auto utna. <laughs> oh Jesus! Uh, so this is probably yeah. like this is this game's a fucking masterpiece, right? So I had a weird moment earlier where yeah, I was talking with Polly and she described a section as like. 
So was that not the best thing ever, or was it the best thing ever? Or maybe it was <laughs> uh-huh. the best thing ever. And I said to Polly, like, have you ever had something really, really overhyped, and then you play it and you're just like, hey, it's okay. <laughs> oh, no. So my feelings on this game are complicated, because, like, I really do like it. But, uh-huh. like, parts of it were missing for me. Okay. And then last night I got the true ending, and the game's a fucking masterpiece, actually. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> it's like yeah, you see, everything Polly had been saying, like, finally clicked with me in this one scene at the end, and I was just like, "Oh my god, this is so good." Cool. I'm I'm liking it, but I think I need to progress further into it. Yeah. To... So you're you said you're on the B route now. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a. Three or four hours into the B route, and so far it's just the same story, but from yeah, a different so that's perspective. Definitely my biggest complaint with that game. So, slight spoiler here, because even Polly didn't mention this last week, is that you do not play this entire game as 2B. You play as 9S for a pretty sizable portion of it. Mm-hmm. And I just don't like playing as him as much. Oh, no. I don't like It's kind of being a slog for me because. He's not good at all in like close combat, so yeah. you have to keep doing you have to keep doing the hacking thing. And you do the hacking so much. You, I I'm barely three hours into it, and already on like a typical like elite enemy, mm-hmm. which would maybe be like a 35, 30, 45 second fight if it was just that and you were to be. Yeah, you gotta hack it like three times. Yeah. So that it's just like oh. Yoko Taro, you went a little too far here, man. Yeah, I, I wish they'd done more things to kind of mix up the hacking minigame, because it just... It gets old fast when you're just... Because there's, like, no delay on it, where you can just hack an enemy, do, like, a third of its life, hack it again immediately, and there's, like, mm-hmm. kind of no risk to doing that. Mm-hmm. And the craziest thing is that there's, like, a second layer to the hacking that they don't really use much, or even... I don't think it's tutorialized at all, is that... If you hack an enemy before they aggro you, you can control it. It gives up, mm-hmm. it pops up the second menu that's like, do you want to subjugate it or do you want to remote control it? So, and if you remote control it, you just are straight up playing as that enemy now, and like that's way more fun. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's crazy. It's almost like it's Go almost ahead. like the problem Watch Dogs had, where. Like a lot of the hacking shit was really fun, but you had so little opportunity to do it because you were doing the horrible cover combat and car ship. Yeah, gotcha. Because kind of like in this, when Nine S gets into a fight and like the enemies just aggro you instantly because it's part mm-hmm. of the scripted thing. Like you don't have an opportunity to mix it up by mm. playing as one of them. And it's, it's yeah. crazy to me from like kind of content generation that like literally every enemy in this game well not every enemy but almost every enemy in this game is playable and has like three or four moves and you can, and like it's like almost entirely optional basically I mean I knew you could do it because I found some plug-in chips that help that mm-hmm. yeah but I had no idea how yeah it just mm-hmm. happened for me randomly where I've had just happened to get an enemy before they saw me, and I was just like, wait, why is this happening now? Is this a story-related reason? And Polly's just, like, telling me, oh, no, that's, like, if you see them before they aggro you. I'm like, why do they not tell you that? And why don't they let you do it more? Because it's way more fun. Like, there's... (laughs) But it's it's also way harder to pull off, because these enemies have a pretty good aggro range. Yeah, yeah. 
the targeting isn't really conductive to this happening. But like those enemies in the forest with like kind of the armor and the big weapons, like they are so fun to play as. There's like I'll have to try that. Maybe I'll like to. Maybe I'll like the B ending route a lot better if I do that more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like there are, but then it's really hard to use it in some places where like because enemies are just popping in, aggroing you immediately. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, get one of those robots that has like kind of a robot horse as well, and just start mowing through dudes. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so but, like, I yeah, really, I really wish they'd emphasize that more over just hacking to do damage because that mm-hmm. just is really negative. The hacking yeah. to do damage thing is like being a rogue in a really bad third edition game. <laughs> where every every encounter you double dash to rush out behind your enemy and wait for the fighter to catch up so that you can flank. <laughs> you have no reason not to because that's how you do the most damage, so you're going to do it literally every encounter if the DM's not smart. <laughs> yeah, like, because his melee is just not that good and just also very awkward because of his weird animations. Yeah, like, like, his fast attacks are also about as slow as Tubi's heavy attacks, and he has no heavy attack. Yeah, yeah, he's com- he's just not fun to combo as, because yeah, he's really, really can't. Yeah, he's- you can't. He's really sticky. You're holding down the, the drone machine gun button and yeah. hacking at the same time, yeah. and occasionally dodging around. Mm-hmm. I found using spears as him kind of the most accessible, because, like, his normal sword attack is, like, not just swing the sword, but, like, throw it out in front of him so, like, he's actually, like, shooting past enemies, basically. It's just, like, this is so awkward and weird to use. And it's so sad, because when you're playing as 2B, like, you can just mash anything, and it looks and feels amazing. Like, <laughs> you, that game makes you feel like the best Devil May Cry or whatever player, when it's just, like, you're comboing, you're doing the air juggles, you, like, you get that time dilation when yeah. you dodge properly like it's so all so good and then you play as him and it's just like a mediocre weird smashy <laughs> i don't know it's like it's like going from metal gear solid revengeance <laughs> to silent hill 2 i don't know Jeez. it's not quite that bad not, it's not it's not that bad because the camera system is still manageable and he's still basically responsive but it's just much slower and stickier yeah i felt like um they really, I felt like that really paid off the hacking thing as an aesthetic and story thing. So I felt very satisfied with two, with Nine S's route, just I for mean, mostly, yeah. yeah. This game, but does I get what have, you mean about playing it. This game does have great payoff to things that are annoying at times, mm-hmm. but you play as him a lot, and it's just I, I feel yeah. Like I think, like. This game's not perfect. Like, there are things that just kind of drive me nuts about it. Like, there are maybe a few too many meaningless side quests that don't really go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Oh, I haven't been doing any of them. See, I think I, I did... Yeah, I did, like, almost... Actually, so I thought I did everything, but then by the end it said, like, 60%, because I just kind of gave up towards the C route. I was just like, I can't keep doing all these. Yeah, I, I think Polly basically told me right from the start... That you don't necessarily have to do the side content to enjoy the yeah. game. Yeah, you know, it's not like a it's not like a Dragon Age no or Kotor type thing. Mm-hmm. But some of those side quests do have really good endings that also can kind of inform the main plot in interesting ways. 
Oh yeah, like the one you can take from the girl in the hangar. That one's sad. I mean, th- that's the thing. <laughs> I don't even know which one you're specifically saying because they're all pretty sad. <laughs> like that's like the this whole is a game. This is a depressing universe. Yeah. I'm talking about the uh, one of your squad mates who gets blown up in the very opening sequence. Oh, you like yeah. go retrieve her like journal and her oh. like body or something. Yeah, I do remember and that one. When you bring that it back. When you bring it back to the girl, she's, you're like, yeah, she's dead forever. And she's like, she was my girlfriend. You know what? And then, what you, did you did you guys choose to tell her or not tell her? It sounds like you to, you chose to tell her, right? To I, not tell her, right? I, I chose to not tell her. I chose, I chose, I chose to tell her. And yeah. she was like, fucking serves her right. Yeah. Come oh. fucking stand her. Fucking deserters. Like. Like just instantly turn on a dime into just searing hatred. I'm glad I didn't tell her, because <laughs> I, I because I could see it coming. Mm-hmm. Like, I could see something like that coming, so I'm like, no. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. It says, it's all oh, my poor girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah, the quests in that game are evil at worst and bittersweet at best, basically. Like yeah, there's, they're very um, there's good. almost always some sort of stinger that's like, eh, this is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if there's more than one of these, but the mission where you take a picture of a desert rose and email it to 6 I, I don't think I did that one. Oh, it's so cute. You're taking pictures of flowers for your girlfriend. It warms the cockles yeah. of my gay black heart. <laughs> Everyone is like, oh, 2B and 9S, and I'm like... 2B and 6O book, guys. Like, hey. I agree. I agree. I agree. I, I, maybe I'll maybe I'll switch by the end, but I'm kind, and 9S kind of annoys me. Oh, I thought you were talking forever. about. I thought y'all were talking about A2. That's why I was confused no. by everyone with 6O. 6O like, like your there hasn't been an, there hasn't been any content with. I haven't seen any content with 2B and A2 really. So the no, no, so no. I was just like. 9S and 2B have a lot of, like, interplay and chats and very intimate moments that are also very gut-wrenching and violent. It's very good. Yeah. I think the open world kind of hurts that game, though. Like, you go through the same areas a lot, and it just, like... It felt, like, not believable to me that all this stuff was happening in this kind of small area. Like, oh, there's just a desert over there, and it's huge. Yeah, I think it's... Yeah, that desert... When I, when I started the B-Route, that desert's a lot bigger than I remember. <laughs> yeah. Because I actually, like, went out to the edge of it this yeah, time. I do like that part, but, like, geographically, like, it's really strange. Mm-hmm. But, like, there's one part where you're in the forest and... You know, another character's like, oh, those guys, they live in the other forest. You can get there by going, like, this roundabout route. And then there's also, like, a total backdoor into that, the castle area from mm-hmm. that It took village. me forever. It took, I had, I did have to look up how to get to the seacoast after uh, a certain part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have to, like, go to the battleship. It took me forever to figure out how to get there. I finally had to look it up. <laughs> I think between... This game and Final Fantasy XV, I am way, way more receptive to open worlds and blank time and empty space and silence in my games. It's, it's almost yeah. like a Shadows of the Colossus type thing. Yes, that can that's be the vibe satisfying. I'm 
This one yeah. almost feels more like a Shadows of Mordor type thing, but bigger and in a longer game. So you start to notice how often you're treading over the same paths more. Yeah, because it feels I feel very just kind of intimately connected with the world in a way that feels very satisfying to me, like treading over the same. The fact that it's kind of a, a small area that gets reused in a lot of interesting ways, like the number of ways the pit in the center of the city gets reused for set pieces yeah. blows my mind. And I find it very cool. And I really, I'm just really connected with the setting and it's kind of more of what I wanted out of Final Fantasy 15 since that game gets very, you know, abandons that halfway through and gets, you know, more loud and anime. So that's so, a more, more animu. Yeah. Which is fine. It's, that's more what I've been into historically in the past, but this is near what this game is doing with the open world and with the side quest is really kind of opening my mind up a lot, I think, to quieter experiences. I mean, this game has dynamic range, I think. Like, it gets very, very loud at some points. Yeah. And then it, it's it has super great. Uh, and like that whole ending sequence and 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 route A. <laughs> yes. Definitely. I was like, wow, oh, I guess I'm at the end now. Yep. And oh, especially the like the sea battle. That's God. Yeah. I fucking bad fight. I kind of didn't believe Polly when she said this game was also a shmup, and then it totally was. Oh yeah, yeah I, I Sometimes that this many things can make like something feel unfocused and noisy, but I think they do it just right enough to make it awesome. Yeah. <sighs> I definitely felt the A route was kind of like a lot of like, okay, go here. Okay, go here now. And then, oh, giant sea battle. Like, it does feel like kind of disconnected at times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think they, the way they start adding a lot of context to those things feels yeah, like there is good stuff in the B route. It's just maybe a bit too long. And then, like, when there's also mm -hmm. side quests that only 9S can do, it's like, oh, like. Because you can get through that super quick. Like, people say, like, five hours if you just kind of mainline it. But, like, yeah. I wanted to do everything. And maybe Oof. maybe his side quests are not the ones really That is kind of a problem with Fusions I didn't mention, is it's got a fucking shitload of side content, and I'm not doing almost yeah. any of it. Yeah, the <laughs> only way to engage with probably that, and definitely with Nier, I think, is to just... Say, hey, I've got a wide variety of these things I can engage with. Let's pick and choose what sounds good right now and then not concern the myself with doing all of it. Like, I did not finish the fucking race. Ugh. Oh, okay. The, oh, the, the end of the race is really good. Oh, it's so hard. And I, I tried it for like 45 minutes. I don't know what the race no. is, but it doesn't sound fun. <laughs> Very. Ugh. The race ends like a lot of other quests do with an explosion. Okay. Um, so because... I mean I this game is better than Fusions in that regard though because in Fusions you have to do at least some of it to be at a proper enough level to just not get wasted mm -hmm. yeah there's definitely kind of a a balance this game strikes between being an RPG and a platinum action game yeah oh yeah it, there's a fine line there that I think it walks very carefully mm -hmm. because like the hard mode is just like you take like ten times more damage, and then very hard is just like you you die one in hit. one hit, period. And that Fuck sounds that. that sounds no fun at all because the load times and like the save system is does not seem at all good for that. 
Yeah. Oh no, the this game's that is one valid criticism of this game, at least on PS4 for me, is yeah. load times. Oh yeah, I have yeah. my phone next to me, and whenever it's doing that, it's like, all right, let's check Twitter. Yeah. I Honestly, that's, that was the case rather, with Doom too. Was that it? The load times in Doom are a lot. Yeah. I was like, oh, I guess load yeah, times are just much worse in this generation than in the last one. Yeah. All right, especially, especially on console. Let's be honest. Um, yeah. The problem with Doom is that normal mode Doom is actually still pretty hard, unlike you know normal yeah. mode this game. Or you can just keep cramming the health potions if you're getting yeah. hit too hard. Yeah, here's, here's pretty. Yeah, this one's pretty easy. <laughs> it's, that's so an, another Shadows of Mordor comparison is the fucking arduous load times. Mm-hmm. Man, at the very least, once you're loaded into Nier, like the open world obviously doesn't stop you. Like it loads in smoothly. Yeah. I really appreciate that. But there was one All- boss fight towards the end of the A route that I fucking died during, and it was mm-hmm. like. Oh, you're going back like a while, like because now we're I've gonna... hit a few of those moments and yeah. it's not fun. Because now yeah. we're a lot show of like you that... the same cutscenes and the whole circle, and then we're going to make you do this three-stage boss fight from the start. Oh, and recover your body in the middle of it too. Yeah, Maybe. try to yeah try not to lose all your plug-in chips. Yeah, that, oh. that happened to me. That happened to me in the factory. Oof. Oh fuck that mission. Oh no, I I actually did. Oh the first. The very start of the game, you mean? No, the revisit. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I, the fir- the start of the game fucked with me, too, because you have to beat <laughs> it in one go, so that was kind of rough. I beat it every time. I never died during it, but you, can I tell y'all my experience with the beginning of Nier? Yeah, it's, it's a bit messy. I played, I played the demo, mm-hmm. and then a week later I bought the game. The demo is just the first stage. And then I played through the whole first level and had a great time. And then it had a little screen pop up that said, um, and it posed like a series of riddles. And then if you engage with the riddles too much, if you engage with the riddles for a little bit, they're text riddles. Like, what is existence? What is God? And you give answers to these philosophical questions. And then it becomes clear that they are just leading you in circles. And every time you answer a question, it just asks you another question. And then it says, I don't care take me out of this, and then it says, we are still installing the next part of the game. If you leave, uh. and it'll go to the title screen, and you will lose all your save data. And I'm like, whoa, this is some next level shit. They're fucking with me, and I just have to, they're telling me they're gonna delete my save data. Whoa, that's weird. Anyway, let's go to the title screen. <laughs> and then I did. And then I was like, and then it said, continue? And then I clicked, ha! Huh, see, I knew I'd, I'd, I'd know your game, Nier. And then I click continue, and then it said, you haven't finished installing all the data yet. I was like, oh, so maybe I just start to click load game? And then I click load game, and then I selected my save, the thing, and it said, oh, you have to, in order, you haven't saved yet, so this is going to delete all your save data. And I was like, oh, okay? (laughs) And then I played the first five minutes, and I'm like, this is the same thing, isn't it? (laughs) And then I... So it just hadn't finished installing. Yeah, it wasn't lying. And it's just not very transparent. It's just it just wasn't lying. I just needed to trust the thing more. <laughs> okay, so, so you the, see, I guess I, just, I must have installed it all the first go because I have no idea what you're talking about. No one did. It was very yeah. frustrating because everyone was just talking to me yeah. like I was a crazy person, and it made me very sad. Yeah. And I was like, had a rough day, and I was just like, why is this? 
game hurting me. Yeah, I saw an article about this. Basically, like, PS4 games, Sony wants it so that you can play before they're done downloading. So uh-huh. here, when it's done downloading the factory level, it'll let you play it, and then not let you save before downloading the rest of, like, the 48 gig download. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't let you save until you beat that level, but even then, it makes you have the whole game, and that's... It doesn't just say that outright. You see, when yeah, I, when I pop it... When I pop a disc into the PS4, I for I do it like three hours before I plan on playing planning to play something. Because I did that. I thought I'd and, had it all installed, so uh, it was like like I so, even I even ran an Ethernet into my range extender to speed it up even faster. So, so I must have John, just just not been quite long enough because then I did it a couple hours later and it ran fine and it went fine. You were playing. So I replayed the first level. I'm sorry? You, yeah, I was playing from a disc. No, I was not. I was downloading it. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Because I put the disc in and it was like 2 gig download. I'm like, okay, I'll wait for that. Yeah, yeah I had to download the whole game. Okay. We, oh, I dro- I, uh, I called the Walmart and <laughs> and over and over at work and they didn't pick up the phone. And then I drove all the way over there and then they didn't have near. And I was very frustrated. <laughs> so nice. so I had like a, a bit of an ordeal getting into the game proper. And then it entranced me after a little while. <laughs> well, that's good. I had a funny. But game. yeah, it just—I was just trying to be clever. I—I I played Undertale. I played a bunch of weird games. I was like, "Oh, ho, ho, I know what you're doing," but it was this just ga- this game doesn't seem to happening. this game doesn't seem to monkey with the man machine interface quite as much as Undertale does. No, it's not, it wasn't trying to fuck with me. It was just being a little goof, quirky and then telling the truth. Hey, don't go to the tile screen. We're just installing some shit. And I didn't listen. They yeah, see, I was progress bar when th- that's happening. <laughs> that would have been nice. Yeah. You see, I grew up, you see, you know, I played Metal Gear Solid 2 at a very young age. So I don't trust any video game bullshit like that now. So yeah. I would have fallen for that too and I'd have been pissed. Yeah, okay. I'm glad I'm not, I'm glad that makes sense. I was one of those kids who actually did turn off my PlayStation 2. God. That's amazing. And I... That's actually why it took me... Why I didn't probably beat it until after I played Metal Gear Solid 3. Because I accidentally didn't save for a while. Like, I think I had... less funny. Like, I think I had to, like, redo, like, a chunk of the Emma part. Better than it's probably better than getting to the torture sequence and then being like there are no continues, my friend, and then dying oh. and then hey, there are no continues. That's what he meant. I didn't oh. say. Oh no, my dad was so fucking pissed when that happened. He said, "I mean, because it happened to him." <laughs> recurring thread. The game tells you there are no continues. <laughs> recurring thread. The game says it's gonna delete your fucking save data if you do this. Oh, okay. So I feel, I still feel like it was my fault, but God, it could have been a little more transparent. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's Sony's fault. Let's blame them. Yeah. So the, That's, the first mission is real good, at least. <laughs> yeah, it is. There's a shop at the end of Nier where you can just buy achievements. That's fabulous. I, so I bought all of them, and I looked at my profile, and it said like 91%. I'm like, huh. And I didn't really worry about it, and then turns out like the last one is for starting the true ending like you can't they don't let you buy that one how oh. i thought that was pretty clever cool oh that's good that's a good video game like john 
Okay, like, you're normally someone that's not, like, susceptible to something being overhyped. Yeah. Right? Like, you were the yeah. Undertale guy before everybody else was the also the Undertale guy. Yeah. And the Steven Universe yeah. guy. Yeah. Like, John's and, usually well, the hyper, not the... I, I've been trying, I mean, I've been trying to be the Ruby girl, but I think it's only worked on John. It worked. Oh. It's a good show. Getting better every season. <laughs> do I want do I want to bitch about Ruby Volume Four in this podcast? Um, no, can I just wrong. finish what I was gonna say? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, I was I was being rhetorical. I know. Yeah. <laughs> you are going to lose your shit over the ending of this game. I'm sure <laughs> in, in a fucking great way, and in many ways for like an hour and a half or so. Cool. Yeah, it, I was. It is I a was... roller coaster that I was on alone last night, and I was so pissed. Polly wasn't online because I'm like, I need to scream about this to somebody. Yeah, I think. Um, I think the root C beginning was kind of like my Omega Flowey moment, where it's like, oh, this game is a fucking masterpiece, oh, and then keep going. Yeah, just like fucking Omega. I'm getting. This is probably the best game yeah. I've played since I fail. Like, that's kind of the vibe I'm getting. I'm yeah. very excited. Um, I did not expect to play another game I enjoyed as much or more than Danganronpa within, like, three fucking months since those games. That's kind of a once-a-year thing, I yeah. think, is that level of... I still, I think after this, I'm going to do Danganronpa 2 before I do Persona 5. <laughs> Danganronpa 2 is really good. Have you played one? Yes. Cool, Danganronpa 2 is really good. I don't think you're legally allowed to play two before one. That would seem insane to me. Yeah, I think you'd, I think you'd be lost. Yeah, yeah, it's so good though. Oh man, <laughs> it's very good. I think you'll have a great time. Did, that, did you enjoy the first one? Say that again. Did you enjoy Danganronpa one? I loved it. It probably cool. would have been on my year game of the year list, but I actually sent that list before I even started Danganronpa. <laughs> Yeah, Anne and I played through both Danganronpa games in, like, three weeks or two weeks. It was nuts. God. Yeah, I fucking adored the first game, and then the second game wholly satisfied me. So, yeah. so Rhett, you were going on, oh, so you were continuing, rather, you guys <laughs> about are... the ending. Oh, I don't, I don't want to really say anything in any direction yeah. about the ending, other than, yeah. wow. <laughs> I guess that's yeah. the word, wow. <laughs> I believe it. I feel, I feel very invested in the game and the universe. I think, like I said, the the root C beginning just kind of was enough to sell that. Sell. It. I was already like, oh, like for there's a lot of stuff near the end of root B that I was like, oh god, just very impactful. And then with that, I was just, I'm invested. This game, it goes for it at places for sure. Cool. Cool. Video games are good, y'all. Yeah. They certainly can be. <laughs> yeah. I can't, like, Night in the Woods. Not, you, not and usually, Zelda, but. <laughs> Night in the Woods and Zelda both seemed like, oh, these are going to be, like, the must things game that I really need to play this year. And then Nier came out and was like, all right, ignore that shit. Let's dig into this. And I've been uh, completely satisfied. Maybe I'll play Zelda next time I visit my girlfriend, but it's another thing. I'm infamous more as not being as big of a Zelda fan to play any of them. Well, they've been very bad for 15 <laughs> yeah. years. Is kind of the thing. This one sounds like it's not bad, which is cool. 
I mean, I tried I tried Twilight Princess and thought that was okay for the couple hours I played it. Gotcha. But yeah, I, I think I I think I came to that realization the other day with a fr- talking to a friend was like, oh, the Wii has my least favorite first party load high profile first party loadout <laughs> for a, a Nintendo system. Yeah. I mean, but the only ones the only ones I actually liked were the were the original and Wind Waker. The original is real good, and Wind Waker is cool too. Maybe I'll try Ocarina again sometime. Uh, Link's Awakening is real good. Mm-hmm. I like that one a lot. All right, so is that enough near Automata talk? Yeah. So that just leaves. What have I been up to lately? Right. I suppose so. We just so that's near Automata. Yep. All right, so we all play a shit ton of that, and it's very good. <laughs> it's it's very good. It, uh-huh. it it definitely it seems to have consumed at least one of ours uh, two weeks. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Pretty much. I played Momodora Reverie Under the Moonlight. All hey, of it. That oh. game's really good. <laughs> yes. It's in the to play queue. <laughs> it's cute and good, and it's also like not it. very long. So. Yes, it's cute and good and short. <laughs> Um. Yeah, it's a nice. Did I? Did we talk about that last week at all? I think you had started it. Like you did the kind of the first half of it. Yeah. You didn't. I don't think yeah, I chewed too much. I chewed through the rest of that quite handily. It's very nice. Yeah. It's. It's almost hard to talk about because it just. There isn't a lot to say about it for me aside from that. It's just kind of perfect at being what it is. Yeah. It's, um, it's a singular vision that just, like, yeah. hey, let's do a kind of a 2D Dark Souls. Yeah, it's a 2D... It is that kind of game avoiding, you know, <laughs> Castlevania, Metroid, yeah. whatever. But avoiding most of the... tip, Basically all of the typical pitfalls <laughs> of the that kind of game. There's only a handful of... There's very little power-up gating. Um, you just kind of not organically experience this world and it feels really nice um and yeah did you guys ever play salt and sanctuary <laughs> i didn't hide no. it looked boring unfortunately i haven't played it either I, yeah everyone that's everyone else's go-to for 2d souls i mm. mean it's it's like a dark souls doujin game uh-huh. yeah. like it's th- that's how like right down to the font everything is the same but yeah, it works way different in 2D. Momodora doesn't feel like that. It's got a handful of, like, it borrows good ideas to tell its own story, I think. I really, really love all the music and atmosphere. It's it's weird, because it, I just enjoyed it so much while playing it, but I didn't really think about it much afterwards. Yeah. It didn't kind of stick with me. So I guess it kind of feel, felt feels a little slight in retrospect, mm-hmm. but I don't but I, I say that in a way that I don't want to discredit, like, how perfectly crafted the whole thing is and how satisfying it is, so... Yeah, like, after yeah. finishing it, I just immediately played it again on hard, because I was like, I just, <laughs> I just need a little bit more here, guys. Maybe that's what I, maybe that's what yeah. I should do. I feel like that would give... Plus, I can figure out a couple more of the character relationships. All, all those little side characters had neat little yeah. stories that I enjoyed. Yeah, like, it uh, does take things from Dark Souls, like, the way the NPCs will kind of move around the world without your guidance. Yeah. But, like, Salt and Sanctuary was just, like, we're Dark Souls, like, in bold letters. We're doing Dark Souls in mm-hmm. 2D, and this is more, like, it's the atmosphere, it's the world, like... Yeah. And it's its own atmosphere and world. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, it's an... it it maybe is a bit close to Bloodborne at times. Oh, okay, I haven't played Bloodborne yet. So that makes sense. Bloodborne's really cool. Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited to play it. I'm, I've got I'm eyeing that probably in the next couple yeah. months, honestly. Like Momodora's um, mood just kind of felt like a mix of Bloodborne and Demon Souls, really, but not in a bad cool. way. But it's just like those, yeah. Demon Souls is a really good mood. Yeah, yeah. I really Momodora does everything right that all these games get wrong a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's there's very, there a lot of very little to find wrong gating. with it. Like basically nothing's really wrong with it. Yeah, exactly. That's like the only thing I could say coming away from it is like, okay, it didn't really stick in my mind all that much but mm-hmm. it nails what it is yeah and that's like it's a small thing but it's perfect <laughs> so like just the, just that it gets to the ending and there's not really anything big and transformative about the true ending it's just yeah. kind of yeah this is what the story was building towards the whole time that makes last perfect sense still pretty cool though it's still a cool it's last boss scary the first time you're like oh what mm-hmm so I came away from it feeling very warm and good. Um, I still probably would rather play like Aria of Sorrow, something with yeah. that has kind of more story hook for me personally, even though Aria is a much weaker game in basically every other respect. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is one of the best of that kind of game. And it's certainly better than, yeah, it's, I'd take it over any of the other Castlevanias. Like I booted up Order of Ecclesia, which I... So Order of Ecclesia, mm-hmm. it gets to like the climax, and then you know how there's a true end and, and in all these games that you do by doing a bunch of other stuff? No, but sure. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, there's the fake end and then the true end, and then in Symphony of the Night, you have to do the inverted castle to get the true end. Okay. Order of Ecclesia has, like, a climax, and then, oh, here's Dracula's castle for the first time. Oh. Mm. Yeah. And it's and it's shorter and smaller and better than in the other games, but it's also oh yeah okay. So I I played this game that was good, and now it's Dracula's Castle again. So I just kind of was bored playing that, but very not bored playing Momotora. <laughs> so Mo- Momotora is a very good thing. Cool. I'm yeah. pleased I played it. Taylor, what else have you been up to? Well, uh, now that we've moved beyond the realm of Dragon Ball fusions and near. Automata. <laughs> we're going, uh, we're going to leave the world of video games for a little while. Oh, What's really? outside? Of, what? There's yeah, there's a world outside of video games. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a world. There's a big world outside of video games. I'm not and sure I believe you. One part of that big world outside of video games is movies. Oh, are we gonna go go there? Is that like a video? Is that like one big cutscene? That thing that's like one big video game cutscene. <laughs> In this case, yeah, yes. except these, yeah, pretty much. Uh, so we're gonna, <laughs> I mean, let's uh, shift into turbo. <laughs> <laughs> let's shift what into is, turbo. What did you watch? I watched Saban's Power Rangers. That's the new 2017 Power Rangers movie. The brand new yeah. 2017 Power Rangers movie that came out like a week ago. Yes, I saw this as well too, but I was just like, eh, I don't know if I'm gonna bring it up. But then Taylor was like, yeah, I'll bring that up. I'm like, oh, cool. Okay, on a scale yeah. from Transformers to kind of bad, how good is this? Wait, it's okay. Okay, so it goes beyond in terms of like resurrected adaptations. 
I liked it. I it was I was entertained as cool. like a as somebody who was a Power Ranger for three straight Halloweens. <laughs> uh, Power Rangers is very important to me too. Yeah, it was. It was much better than I was expecting. I wasn't mad that I saw it. Cool. And if it gets a sequel, I'd probably go see that. Cool. So I can watch how they fuck it up. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently there's like some plan for like six sequels that I don't know if that's true or not. Somebody definitely said that, but yeah. I can't help but feel he was being a little joking. After after the Avatar thing, I don't really believe anybody who says that anymore. It's like, yeah. oh, they, you say that, but that doesn't mean it happens. Yeah, but then somehow it happened for Transformers, so... That's did they be... say that they had, like, six sequels planned when they did that? I know. Ugh. Well, Transformers I mean, trans- is bad. I mean, Transformers is fucking horrifyingly bad, yeah. but it also <laughs> makes a shitload of money, so of course it got that. a ton of sequels. How many of those did y'all see in theaters? Two. The Transformers movies? I saw the first I two, did. and after the second one, I said, never again. Okay. I've never seen any of them. Two is that. I've bad. never seen any of them in I've never seen any of them in theaters, but uh-huh. I actually I didn't mind the first one and then I saw the second one and I hated it so much that it made me hate the first one too. Yeah, that's basically exactly the same as me, where it's like first one was inoffensive, I guess. Second one's just a hot, hot garbage. Yeah. It's stunningly I up, awful and all I wound up letting level. <laughs> I saw the first two, and then I wound up let, somehow letting family drag me into the third one, too. Oh, God. And I and I definitely avoided seeing the fourth one. Uh, my brother says, every time after these movies, I say never again, but I've somehow seen all four in theaters. So, I've, I've, never like... seen, I've never seen any of the third one. I know they get Leonard Nimoy's character to say the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Yeah, it's pretty bad. And, ju- and just that alone makes me wish that Michael Bay's balls would spontaneously combust. <laughs> it's very bad. Oh, it's very bad. But you know it's not very bad? Power Rangers. Yeah. It, it's so, definitely a step up from those the trash piles. Oh, yeah. definitely. It's de- it's like... Uh, it's, it's, it's weird because it's not the kind of movie you expect. Yeah. Okay. Tell me about that. So I went in, I thought, best case scenario, it'll be a glorious cheese fest that'll just make me feel like I'm watching an old episode of Power Rangers. Yeah. That's not what it is. Okay. They They go with a serious tone. They don't go with a grim, dark tone. Okay. Which is part of of why it doesn't suck, honestly. Because I don't want Grimdark Power Rangers. Although you do get hints of that, but when they happen, they're actually kind of effective. So this movie uh, sort of like retells the cosmology of Power Rangers, where uh, there's something hidden uh, underneath the crust of the planet okay. called the Zeo Crystal. <laughs> Okay. You know, so, like the thing from the show. Yeah. It's so weird that they go with this serious tone, but then the whole movie is about getting a MacGuffin called the Zeo Crystal that's buried mm-hmm. in the Earth. And it's just like, trying to, this is trying only so to serious be- you can take this. Yeah, mm-hmm. trying to beat up a villain named Rita Repulsa. Do they say mm-hmm. Repulsa in the movie? They do. When Zordon first t- when Zordon's wall form first turns on, 
he explains to them that they're the Power Rangers tasked with defending the Zeo Crystal from Rita Repulsa and her evil monster Goldar. That's excellent. <laughs> it's uh... so the so the movie opens up with uh, a flashback to the end of the Triassic period. Hmm. Okay. And so 65 million years in the past. And it opens with the Red Ranger cradling the Yellow Ranger as she dies in his arms. <laughs> and then collecting all of their power coins, including his, burying them underground and ordering Alpha 5 to send a meteor to impact on Earth to take out the Green Ranger, Rita Repulsa, who has turned evil and betrayed her comrades. Damn. And the Red Ranger is Zordon. And so Zordon cool. sacrifices himself by causing the asteroid impact that wipes out the dinosaurs in order to kill Rita off with him. Also, Zordon is played by Brian Cranston. Oh! Wait, really? Yeah. Yeah, seriously. Breaking Bad I didn't is know weird. that! It, this movie's weird. <laughs> this, this movie is batshit, and I love it <laughs> sometimes. So yeah. after that, you... There's a really dumb sequence with the red with the new Red Ranger Jason playing a prank on a rival high school. He's like a football player. Okay. So there's like a five minute joke where his friend who's helping them get a cow inside the locker room talks about, yeah, I, I milked her to try and calm her down. And he's like, this is a ball. He's like, yeah, but I, I, but I milked joke. it. But I milked it. He's like, yeah, did, was there four udders or just one? Just, oh, God. I, yeah, that's a great whole... joke that that's a great joke to linger on. That's and what then, you need. And then he like goes under the cow and shines a flashlight on its like sheath cover. Okay, I so they linger so on the joke. Confused yeah. that they went I'm from like, apocalyptic dinosaur scene to that. Uh, and I, before you even know who these characters are, I'm like, oh, is this the new Bulk and Skull? Nope, it's Jason. It's Jason. Uh, <laughs> He, he rolls his car trying to get away from the cops, causes thousands of dollars in property damage, and, and like, injures his knee, so his his star quarterback season is ruined, and all those football scouts that were supposed to be coming to watch him, because he's, like, a superstar, are like, yeah, fuck you now. You, you, tore, a knee, you tore a ligament, you're done. <laughs> so he, he's on house arrest and dealing with detention, and in detention are two of the other Power Rangers. There's mm -hmm. Billy the Blue Ranger and Kimberly the Pink Ranger. Okay. Uh, Billy, who has been changed from white to black in this movie, is also autistic. Okay. But that's handled really well, I thought. Cool. Yeah, Billy is like the standout character in this movie for sure. Oh, uh, that's really nice because he was like my favorite. He's a stand-up for the good guys. Mm -hmm. But basically, uh, Billy talks... Billy, like, hacks Jason's house arrest anklet in exchange for him helping him out, like, sneaking into, the to like, a gold mine and blowing shit up, and that's when they find the power coins. And next day, they become all super strong... And they go back and they find the spaceship and then Zordon shows up. Around the same time, uh, Jason's father pulls up Rita's body from the bottom of the ocean. He's like, Angel Grove is like a fishing village in this movie, so he's a fisherman. And she immediately goes on like a serial killing spree 
And she's really fucking creepy in this movie. <laughs> it's weird because okay. it's, like, it's not the dark, gritty reboot of Power Rangers, but it's very... It's still pretty dark and weird, and, like, there's car crashes and murders, and, you know... There's two car crashes. There's three car crashes in this movie, yeah. and they're all really intense. So I read a, I read about a negative review. Oh, that's right. They, um, they get hit yeah. by a fucking train is another, the other car crash. It's yeah, that's the, intense. The night, the night they get the power coins. And we never find out how they get back to their rooms, but because they have the power coins, they're not dead. Yeah, they're running from the cops and get fucking smashed by a train. It's... Like, how they... Things that, that is kind of really bug me. <laughs> what bugs me most about that is the plot hole that's left because they never deal with any fallout from crashing that van that obviously belongs to Billy's mom. Yeah, Oof. there's that, and there's the fact that like the fact that they have super strength while in their human form is like never actually kind of brought up again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just like. It's like they have, they're now super powered because they have the coins in their possession, but yeah. they have to learn how to morph into their armor so that they can be protected and stronger and faster and control the Zords. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then that ends up being, like, the whole rest of the movie. Like, Yeah, that's one of the big a criticism you could make is that you don't really get any suited Power Ranger action until the last 20 minutes. It's weird. There's some crazy pacing with this, like, it really kind of drove me nuts. Where it's just like, just get on with it, goddammit, I don't care about your feelings. Believe it or not, I found myself pretty invested in the hour and a half of just, like, straight character drama. Cool. Because one of the things that help, like I said, is Elizabeth Banks as Rita. Mm-hmm. Because she starts off this movie as a really creepy, chattering-to-herself serial killer, straight-up murdering dudes and ripping their gold teeth out. <laughs> Jeepers. All right. Yeah, because she needs to collect gold to make Goldar, because Goldar in this movie is not a gargoyle. He is, a, or like a Tengu, whatever he was supposed to be. He is a creature made of liquid gold. <laughs> okay. So when she consumes enough gold to restore herself to her original sort of like mindset and abilities, all of a sudden she's still creepy because she does still do a lot of straight up murder and torture. Mm-hmm. But she becomes the Emperor from Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> Elizabeth Banks has run out of scenery to choose, and so now she's gnawing on the ceiling. That's excellent. And she's just so joyful and, like, <laughs> sadistically, like, excited about everything she's doing that the disconnect between that and, like, the straight-up murders she does makes her really kind of unsettling. This sounds pretty great. That sounds pretty great. What about you, Red? How do you like Rita? <laughs> I I was just too disappointed that she had like nothing to do with the original version, really. Mm. Like her and Alpha oh, yeah. were just like you guys didn't even try to kind of get these characters the same, huh? Yeah, but at the same time, I think because they did want to go a little more serious, they kind of had to. I mean, first of all, they did actually give a reason to why Zordon and Rita hate each other specifically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because Rita had no backstory. Ah, after 10,000 years, I'm free! It's time to conquer Earth! Exactly, that's all you need. <laughs> I'm sure if you watch all, whatever, 80 episodes of original, there's... 
there must be some backstory for her at some point, right? I don't know. Not mm-hmm. real. 155 episodes, by the way. Oh. That, that Mighty Morphin Power Rangers is fucking long. <laughs> I think the whole problem is, like, you originally said, though, like, you thought this movie was going to be a cheese fest, and I'm like, what would have been wrong with that? Like, when they finally do transform and get the Zords, and, like, there's a shot, like, that's kind of ripped from, like, a remake of the original opening, where it's, like, the four dino zords running forward and it plays the theme and it's just like and it plays the awesome remix version from the original live action power rangers movie yeah. <laughs> go go power rangers that, just, that, that minute feels like from a totally different movie weird although i do i do like speaking of transformers i like how the action isn't total transformers barfy cam oh so which helps the fact that this movie has horrible CG. It's very yeah. ugly. It's looking it's, at the trailer. It's very ugly. Like if its only benefit is that the action is coherent. Uh huh. Some of the choreography is a little clunky, but when they finally get to the big Megazord fight, everything feels properly weighty and impactful. Gotcha. <laughs> at least I thought so. <laughs> Weird. I read a negative review. That basically amounts to this thing is a weird has a weird bizarre mix of tones. Yeah, um, that is also, fair. Also realizing that, and I was like, oh okay, so I just won't bother with this. But now I'm also realizing that I'm pretty into weird bizarre mixes of tones a lot of the time, and this sounds like kind of a delightful mess I mean, in a lot of ways. Okay, so to me, uh, it's kind of like. Trying to think of a good movie example here. <laughs> you know what this reminded me of, and this is a super insult. When I yeah. first saw nah, the tra- nah. no, when I first saw the trailer for this, and it's just like them going into the cave, and then they wake up, and they've got the super strength. I thought, man, are they making, are they making another Fantastic Four movie? Oof! And then yep. this movie, like the pacing of it, really did remind me of that latest. Fantastic Four movie, which was Oof. not good at all. Oh, yeah, that is that is a mark against this movie, is that it does take forever to get to the point. Yeah. But it is not as... Like, I think, we, I think we'll both agree it's nowhere near as bad as some of the horrible adaptations we've brought up. <laughs> no. Yeah. When I think total mishmash, I think, I, I think the thing that jumped to my mind was that old, that 2013 or so horror movie, You're Next which is just, like, really tense home invasion horror movie, but then it also is kind of home alone and has a lot of jokes that are really funny. That doesn't really have anything relevant to the conversation, but it popped into my brain, so I wanted to share it with y'all because (laughs) the contents of my brain are very important. I think it's a movie I like because it's one of those things that goes so over the top that it loops back around and becomes amazing sometimes. When it absolutely has to. That's cool. So, better than Transformers, better than Man of Steel. Oh, better God. Better than that Garbo. Yeah. Way better. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad that Power Rangers didn't get totally raked over the coals, basically. Because I care about Power Rangers a lot more than I care about Transformers or even Superman. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is definitely not what I expected coming out of a Power Rangers movie. But I was satisfied. You know. Yeah. I, I mean, let's, cool. I mean, let's be honest here. As somebody who grew up with that show and watched like everything through Lightspeed Rescue before stopping, 
Mm-hmm. I'm not going to pretend that Power Rangers was objectively good. True. I watched one episode, one of the episodes on the big stream. I was like, yeah. oh, that was fun. Bye. <laughs> the players, I did. I watched. I I didn't watch the stream because the whole like all 22 seasons or whatever are on Netflix. Yeah. So I did rewatch. Oh, I, oh yeah, every Power Rangers, everything is on Netflix. It's great. I rewatched Green with Evil parts one through six. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one I want to watch with Anna. Just put on Green with Evil. Have a good time. It's the emotional core of Power Rangers, really. Uh, it's Tommy's. Yeah, Tommy's journey. That was definitely like my arc when I was a kid. I was like, Green Ranger's fucking awesome. Yeah, that was, I had a Green that- Ranger costume. It was very good. Yeah, I think I was Green Ranger, then White Ranger, and then I think like Red Zio Ranger. Cool. Mm, Zio, that Zio movie was real good. I think I tapped out by by the time they started getting to the name changes. Yeah. Yeah, which um, is, I mean, Zio's Zio's okay and Turbo is crap, but if mm-hmm. you but when you watched it like I did and you got to the end of In Space. That's definitely like a fitting wrap up to the whole like five things that yeah. preceded it. I heard that God. they originally thought that was going to be the last season, so they were trying to like kind of wrap it up. Yeah. yeah, because I mean, basically because they kill Zordon at the very end. Oh, great! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I remember. The, I let's just remember let's the, be honest. Let's be honest. If you haven't all, if you haven't <laughs> seen it by now, you're never going to watch it. <laughs> yeah, obviously, I'm not like. Oh no, spoilers! I remember. I think I had a pretty big connection with In Space because I remember. The evil Power Rangers, like the Psycho Rangers. Oh, the Psycho Rangers were so fucking cool. They were very cool and very scary. They it were biologic. They were biologically engineered to be the perfect foil to the Ranger of their same color. Yep. So the way they beat them is to color all of themselves blue, so that they don't know which ones to fight. <laughs> yeah, that's how they kill the Blue Ranger. But then when it gets down to three, they go turn into the Super Psychos, and oh. then they just like, they just like you know, just pull their assholes apart. God. And then they become the super god psychos, and then they become like, <laughs> super, 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 super god psychos. psychos. Yeah. And they all had, like, different personalities. I think the pink one was really cool. God, I'm really nostalgic for Power Rangers. The yeah, other day, they... I sat Anna down and made her watch, like, six Power Rangers theme songs. <laughs> it was very good. Set controls to, to outer, outer space, space now. now. Flying high. You're not going to keep going? But Alright, I think oh we're done. Oh my god, I feel so old <laughs> right now. <laughs> uh, I mean... Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're you're probably a, I don't know how old you are, but you're probably a good twelve years older than me or John. <laughs> I'm hey, this is well. I'm like two years older than John. Oh my! God. Is that good? Is that good? Um, Power Rangers stock. Yeah, I, I think that's as good as I can go into it without spoilers. Uh, the Yellow Ranger is gay. That's good. They don't, but she's like she's not in this movie much. <laughs> yeah, her like, her and the Black Ranger it, it, are really just kind of. Side characters, yeah, but like the the Black Ranger does have like some really resonant emotional moments with his mother. Yeah, I mean they're not not in the movie. It's just the main the other three really get way more development at the start. Yeah, yeah. So it's like I mean it's like a cool little thing, but I'm glad they didn't try and pat themselves on the back like Disney did over the Beauty and the Beast thing. Yeah, 
That was very dumb. Because, because I mean, the way they did it in Power Rangers was nice. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't hear about it until well yeah. after the movie had come out. With me, these things such that, like a which I guess is like kind of a massive spoiler because it's revealed in like a campfire scene where they're all kind of revealing a lot of their big personality flaws to each other. She's like, this is why I don't get along with my family. Gotcha. That's really cool. That's nice. So yeah, yeah just... it, I saw Beauty and the Beast and it, it, it was cool, but it was a really <laughs> fine thing, but the, the gay thing just like doesn't... It isn't a thing in the movie, like at all. It's not... And it's not, like, offensive either. Like, I saw a thing passed around about how horrible it was that they made this repulsive character the first gay thing. And no, it was fine. It was just... I was about to say, did they, did they at least make that character better than he was in the cartoon? Yes, much, much better. He's way... He's, it... a, he's a funny, kind of a standout side character in the movie. But, yeah, uh... They, get, they got a lot of backlash for it because I think, like, the... I think he was, like, the story supervisor, like, the like music director or something for like the Disney Renaissance and he was a gay guy. Yeah. So they're like this is like an insult to the memory of the guy who saved Disney from bankruptcy to make this shitty fucking character the gay one. Yeah. No. They Well, at least like, the not- thing I the thing I saw was like they na- made the character named the fool, the gay one. That's the worst, but it he's not he's they de- like all the characters they give him more development and he's more Laird and it's just it it's a thing that's I really don't think it's gr- offensive it's just also really not worth patting yourself on the back over it's just such a nothing thing yeah it's so weird well uh, hey at least they managed at least Power Rangers gave us the first autistic and first gay superheroes in a big budget action movie God, Marvel why are you so bad at this at remember everybody? Remember what I said about if uh, Joss Whedon wrote Ruby? Oof. If Blake got stabbed in the stomach, now she's infertile. <laughs> my, my, Avengers 2 was very bad. My addendum to that would be, and also Yang would have died, but only mm. after they kissed finally. <laughs> I, re- I still really <laughs> like Buffy. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm bitter about Buffy because Willow and Tara were the first gay people I saw in a thing of media. Gotcha. And one of them dies. Yeah. God. It season six is brutal. <laughs> Alright, so is that Power Rangers? Yeah, I think that's all I can say without spoiling everything else. Oh. I think we can segue very There's not brief. a whole lot to spoil in this movie, yeah. but <laughs> Yeah. We kinda you know what a I... rundown of most of it anyways. That's true. Um, one thing I want to mention in passing, because I remembered it doing with the Power Rangers nostalgia, because I've got a lot more nostalgia for this, Anne and I have watched the first half of the first season of Digimon together. Oh, oh nice. Oh, yep. I like that. That I have a much bigger connection with that than Power Rangers, I think. <laughs> I really like Digimon. Digimon God. is my shit. Yeah, and it was rough, because it was like... I was really happy that she was enjoying it because the first like twenty episodes of that show are pretty rough. Yeah, um, get getting through Devamon and like the first big chunk of Edamon can be a little bit difficult nowadays. Yep, but then they get to pass that and it starts getting a little bit heavier, and then they go back to the human world, and there's the Memora Soda episode, and it's just like, oh wow, yeah, this is a special thing. Oh yeah, when they go to the human world, that show becomes something else. Yeah, 
And then, of course, Tamers is fucking amazing. So Tamers is like, Tamers is like not just nostalgia for me. Tamers is like a legit good anime. Yeah, we just made a good anime, and it's by the Serial Experiments Lane writer. And he was like, hey, what if I wrote a kid's show and also cared about it a lot? And made it into Digivangelion. <laughs> God. Tamers is very good. I like Digimon a lot, and I just kind of wanted to mention that in passing, because that's made me very happy as revisiting that show. Adventure Zero 2 sucks sweaty ballsack, and you oh, should totally skip it. <laughs> Adventure Zero 2's the fucking pits, yeah. And, uh, I've never watched anything. I've never watched anything past that. I want to watch Not like the. Re- I want to watch Digimon Adventure Try. Same. I'm excited so to I- move to that. Maybe with Anna after we finish Adventure. Yeah, but yeah, Adventure Tamers and fuck the, Zero Two the, and the two <laughs> um and the two Hasoda so- movies. Yeah, uh, our uh, war game is probably the best Digimon thing. Maybe at least uh, Tamers is probably the best Digimon thing. But our war game is. The most fun Digimon thing. Isn't uh, is our war game is just Summer Wars apparently. Yeah, or summer. Uh, I've I've watched both our war game and the Digimon the American gotcha. Super Edit Digimon movie. Can yeah. I be honest about something while we're on that subject? What? I think the American movie does a better job with Diaboromon than our war game does. Like Damn. I actually I like I like the middle third of the Digimon movie better than our war game. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah, the, the Digimon movie was my childhood, so that's fun. Now, don't get me wrong. The Digimon movie's a fucking mess. Yup. But that middle third is really good. <laughs> yup. And the first one's good, too. Is the American yeah, the one, first like, one... heavily edited or something? It's very oh. edited, and they change all the music. Yeah, it's all it's all it's all licensed late nineties, early two thousands ska punk. They put in one week. But it's they like play one week. week. They play one week and and All Star. And are both in the best, same movie. And all my best friends are metalheads by less than Jake. Do you think it's strange that there's a way of how you look and how you act and how you think or pretend they're not the same, same as you? They also have never had to knock on wood, but I know someone who has, which makes me wonder if I should. <laughs> I yeah, it's hate like, that song fashion. irrationally, and I always have. <laughs> it's been one week since you looked at me. I only, like the, I only like these songs because they were in the Digimon movie. I oh, fucking hate ska are, music. <laughs> all these songs are the Digimon movie to me. Are are like... Like, when I hear One Week and All-Star, the first, like, impression I get is, oh, yeah, from the Digimon movie in my head. To be so honest, I, I, like, I think more about Shrek when I hear All-Star. I, man. When you said that, yeah, I thought of Shrek. I, can yeah. I bring up one thing about Power Rangers real quick to jump back? They play, Go ahead. They play Power by Kanye West in it, and my reaction was like, oh, the song's Saints. from Saints Row 3. <laughs> and apparently I that I comic showed that. up on a bunch of... Japanese message boards were like they were like oh from Saints Row three because they don't know. Oh. Uh, I didn't I didn't catch that. Oh, I think that's it's like funny. right after I, the main theme. Oh, because I know they had they played a, a rap song in the trailers, but I didn't pick up on it in the movie. Hmm. No one man should have all that power. God, I think it's like when Did they're you... fighting the putties or something. That's a weird movie. Okay. Okay, I think 
I remember like the beat of that <laughs> yeah. to that sequence now, but I don't remember like picking out the lyrics like you can in the trailer. Uh, I just know that's what was the Saints Row Three. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so was uh, what was that? What I've got by Sublime, which again I only like because of Saints Row Three. I fucking hate Sublime. <laughs> Uh, oh yeah, t- and hashtag and, um, Taylor hates everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, you like Power Rangers and Digimon. Yeah. You're good. So You're good what was what was An- what was Anna's response to the first twenty episodes? Then I think you she brought that up. But... She thought it was cute. Oh, it is good. cute. It's not like it's not particularly good, and that's it was funny because the first time I watched that, I had not watched the first season of Pokemon through a couple times, so. Like, it's funny watching Digimon now, and it's, like, got strengths and weaknesses in comparison, where, like, the main thing with Anna for the first, like, handful of episodes was, like, oh, look, it's shitty Bulbasaur. Hey, look, it's shitty Beedrill. You know, I think think some of those designs may actually predate Pokemon, because I think the Tamagotchis came out before Pokemon did in Japan. Oh, was it Tamagotchis before anything else? Yeah, that was... Digimon started out as the little Tamagotchi Digivice things where you could raise and battle them with other people. Cool. And it's so funny how much, like, that Digimon Season 1 is kind of entrenched in, like, Hosoda's legacy, because he went, especially because he went and made Cyber Wars, which and I have watched, like, 20 or 30 times. Yeah. Uh, and then Chiaki Konaka is made Season 3 as baby, so it's like, Two really great artists are just like deeply entrenched in Digimon history, which is could have just been this totally slight Pokemon knockoff thing. Yeah, and totally, you know, to- totally connect great artists connected to something that's fundamentally children's schlock. Yeah, <laughs> when there's nothing wrong with children's schlock if it's done well. Yeah, which they nail. God, mm. I fucking love Digimon. Um, so that was like that was the. Quick thing I wanted to talk about. Yeah, very quick. Yeah. Oh, I, I have another Power Rangers comment. A Knight's yeah. ta- Tale. That's what this movie is like. Oh. Oh. God, I haven't seen that movie in so many... I watched that movie probably ten times as a kid for some reason, but I don't remember uh, it at all. Well, except all the Queen songs. Me and my mother loved that movie, and I still cool. love that movie. It's we- bad, but it's also great. God, I should watch that again. I think Anna hates it actively. Like, I've never seen... We didn't watch together, but she, apparently she does, so... That'll I be guess there is some kind of... There is some kind of suspect gender politics at play. Gotcha. Which they try to subvert, but end up doing it anyway. That's yeah. sort of like when an anime jokes about etchies, where you always have that scene where the, you know heroine like falls panties first onto the hero's face or something and then they do it anyway mm-hmm. yeah it makes sense <sighs> <laughs> uh, so is that digimon <laughs> that's digimon um john just got a turn for free there i think i wanted to th- I, yeah i want to throw in a, have a second turn can i do that yeah sure I'm so- all right cool rapid fire uh, all right so free so freeware video games are y'all familiar? No. You're on okay. your own for this one. Okay. I well, mean Red, you made one. You make a bunch of made a bunch of them. Taylor, you scored one. Yes, I did. That's pretty cool. I really like 
free video games, tiny free video games that people put on the internet and share with folks, or like $2 video games that get stared, shared on not Steam, $5 video games that get shared on not Steam. Um, just smaller personal projects that exist outside of the general mainstream space. Mm-hmm. So even like, even like Momodora penetrates into that space a lot more than a lot of this stuff does. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean you're not exactly games started on itch. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think but well you know, before, it, but by the, the yeah. time it's showing up on like Steam, you can't expect it. You can't exactly expect to find Sabat Director's Cut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Fuck, I love Sab. I love that game. Fuck, I love that game. Um, I might, I might get, I might get to meet Ava Problems later this year. Oh, that's exciting! I played. That was actually a game I played this the last couple of weeks. Was Augur, which is the game that very directly predates Sabbath. Yeah. I wasn't going to mention it, but it was oh. real cute and good. Yeah, because I have a, a friend in Canada is getting married, and I guess her mm-hmm. fiance is friends with Ava Problems. So yeah, I gotta try. Good. I gotta try and find a way to Canada for a wedding. That'll be fun. <laughs> that's cool. I temporarily temporarily unfollowed her on Tumblr because she kept saying mean things about two B nine S ships. Oh yeah, she's she's really. She's really anti 9S. <laughs> and I can't deal with that. I, I love my boy too much. Um, so I haven't really been playing tiny free video games. Even though I've been making them, I haven't really been playing them much at all lately. Like, for maybe the last couple of years, I've just steadily fallen away from that scene that I was deeply entrenched in for a long-ass time. Like, very much defined kind of my teenage years experience with video games is playing stuff like Fucking Terry Cavanaugh's Don't Look Back. Um, just a bunch of weird, cool shit. Um, Redder, all of Anthropy stuff. There's a lot of good-ass freeware games I like a lot. And I've been in not doing that much. And that makes me, that made me kind of sad when I realized that. Because, like, if, if I'm going to make these kind of games and expect people to play them, it feels weird when I don't play them myself. It's like, how can I expect other people to? Um... So I made a big Google Doc full of all basic a shit ton of game devs that I've liked. And then I went back and was like, so have you been making stuff lately in the last four years when I haven't been paying attention? And it turns out a lot of them had been. And there's a lot of stuff I hadn't gotten to that I've been wanting to get to. Um, and there's kind of two big ones. Uh, I played Space Funeral by the Catamites. Have you all played any of this stuff? Never heard of it. All right. Would I he know really like them by name? Okay. Wait, you don't know any of them by name you said? No, I mean, give us some names. All right. Their previous work. Yeah, that's... Um, <laughs> it's not... None of it's really huge, oh, okay. I think. Maybe it's, so. um... I mean, like, in certain circles, yeah, but he made, like, Magic Wand and... Oh, what's the other ones? Uh, I'm trying to bring up the website, but, like, Murder Dog 4. <laughs> <coughs> Four! Okay, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not y'all's. Yeah. That reminds me of a, Wait, that was, that was a, a nut job two, and I was like, there was a nut job one. <laughs> Pleasure oh, Domes yeah. of Pleasure Domes of Kubla Khan and Lake of Roaches were the other ones I wanted to mention. Um Weird glitch noise arty games that I really that are interesting to me, but I've had trouble kind of emotionally connecting with in the past. Um mm-hmm. But I still respect a lot. I finally played kind of seminal game Space Funeral, which is this RPG maker like 
weirdo game here. Let, let me just fucking link y'all some screenshots, I think. Bloop. So it's like an hour and a half long RPG maker game that's real weird and pretty. Oh, God, uh, that's a website. <laughs> John just linked us to GeoCities circa 1997. Oh, yeah. It's that. <laughs> has their has a whole aesthetic, and it's pretty great. Um, uh, you know who else has an aesthetic? PC Music. Uh, <laughs> whatever. I think it's... This looks it's like a very, Yume Nikki on acid, just saying. It's more it's more normal than Yume Nikki. It's very much like a pretty straightforward RPG structure just with mm. um, a... It looks, just, it where looks everything like, is warped and distorted and perver- perverted. Not not perverted, in the but taking all, like that Altered in a Lovecraftian way. <laughs> kinda, yeah. It looks um, like 8-bit nuclear throne. I should fucking play but, Nuclear Throne, apparently. But, but uglier. And yes, you should. Nuclear Throne mm. is great. I liked a bunch of other screenshots there. Mm. Uh, I like the King of Crime boss. Um, and that story really connected with me, actually. It's a neat story about a world where all of the things that make it ugly and hard to connect with are also the things that make it personal and beautiful and you kill that in the end and it's actually kind of sad why you're basically on a quest to just fix this world and when you do you realize oh that's now everything that's kind of special about this thing is gone so it, it connected with me in a neat way and made me think about just kind of it's sort of it's a very meta thing about art and trying to seek perfect sort of a perfect vision but then in aligning yourself with that kind of thing you wind up stripping your stripping out what's actually unique and you um so i liked it a lot it connected with me and i thought it was real smart and it was the first catamites game that really got to me that way so i'm real excited to play more and maybe kind of figure out that style better and maybe connect with it more emotionally mm. cool um Nice. And and one one more little one, and I'll throw it out to you, Taylor. Um, I played. Have y'all played Hero Core? No. I started, have you played? It, I started it and didn't finish it. I'm sorry. Oh, Hero Core is really good. Like it's another no bullshit Metroid type game um, by Daniel Ray. It's the best Daniel Raymar game. Um, he made E.G. and Murray and a couple other things. Um, oh, and Princess Remedy, which I haven't gotten to yet. Um, so HeroCore is, is pretty perfect. Um, I love that game a lot, and I think it's actually pretty touching. And it's for for a long time it was my go to good indie Metroid game because it there's not a lot of gating, and you can go straight to the final boss if you want to. Like when I heard that you can do that in the new Zelda, it's like oh, like HeroCore. Um, but it's actually a sequel to a preceding game called Hero, which is one of his very first games, well before EG. Um, mm-hmm. And the big difference is that Hero Core is one big Metroid world with a map. Um, Hero is six levels, and you don't get a map. Um, so I actually, so it's winds up actually being a little bit tenser and more momentum-y. And I really appreciated that. Trying to link y'all my um, 
map I made at the last level, last climactic level, because it actually got really intense and scary at the end. So it's not like strictly uh, linear, though. Like you still have different rooms yes. on the floor. Yep. Here's a here's my map of the hardest level. It gets it starts out with like nine rooms in a level, and then it just escalates. Yeah, it was a it was that's a very, just one level. That's one. Of, that's one of. Five, that's one of six levels. That's the fifth level, and then the sixth level is just the final boss. This is like so. Is each is each dot a room? Yeah. So it's wow. Like four rooms or so. It was in a, it, it. Yeah, it was like the first cup. The first three or three levels took me like forty five minutes, and then the last Jeez. two took me, and then four and five took me about an hour. Yeah. For listeners' reference, it's like an eight by eight grid of dots with a couple of paths denoting hallways driven drawn between some of them. It's basically like Death Mountain and Zelda One. It's a lot. It's a. It's basically a series of Zelda One dungeons. Yeah, mm. my first thought Escalating was like, my first thought was like level eight in the original Zelda. I think is only yeah, like and, eight by eight or something. Yeah, and this is the climactic level, so it feels earned. Um, I thought it was. Yeah, I really liked it. Actually, I really connected with it, especially for how it kind of offered. Because I already loved Hero Core. So it was neat to see this thing give me something different from that. That was still very satisfying. Mm. Um, and I like, and I like talking about these games on here because, like I said, these kind of tiny personal experiences were have been very important to me. So it's nice to be getting back into that. Um, before we go into any more, though, Taylor. Oh yeah. What are you? What else have you been up to? Well, uh. I guess uh, one last video game before I jump into my like kind of bigger topic. What's a video game? We've been talking about so many movies. Like, yeah. what is that? Uh, it's this thing where you use some kind of interface to control a person on a screen and you do stuff. Gotcha. Okay. So I uh, go on. I I don't know how far I'm going to take this, but I dipped my toes into a Mass Effect trilogy replay. Ooh. Because Andromeda's coming out came out, I guess, already. And I don't really care about it. Yeah. <laughs> what? Like, <laughs> like I'm waiting I'm waiting for like a price drop. A price drop. I'm one. sounded how much a I, price I guess drop and a just really... fucking bunch of bug fixes. Yeah, apparently, but hey, that's Bioware. Man, it seems like people really care about Mass Effect because <laughs> it amazes me how many people are playing Andromeda when Zelda and Nier are out. It's like, why play the well, bad I mean, RPG? I mean, well, I don't like Zelda, so I'm obviously going to play this instead. But maybe after Persona 5 is what I'm saying. Oh, and Persona 5's coming out. God. Yeah, I... I I have to, I have to save that till after finals so I don't fail my classes. <laughs> uh, so Mass Effect One, um, this game's kind of weird. Yeah, I played twenty hours of this game. It's my only experience with Mass Effect. Mm. I played when it first came out. I played it. I pretty much ignored all the side content, so I probably beat it in like fourteen hours or something like that. That's what I will be doing if I do it again. I think. <laughs> yeah. The side quests and to be honest, the side quests in Mass Effect are just not that good. In like in Mass game, in right? Mass Effect in the first game, yeah. yeah. And but even in the second one, I thought the only ones that were worth doing were the loyalty quests. Okay. Yeah, those are but not then even, in, those are not side quests, those are basically essential they're to into, do. They're so important. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean you can 
you can survive the ending sequence without doing any loyalty missions, I think. But it's not going to be easy. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> to call them side quests is kind of being dismissive. Like, yeah, I'm, they're, they're it's a more tier like between a... main path and side quest. So, like, the things at the end of Chrono Trigger, basically. Yeah. Yeah, they're like a bunch of. They're just like they're like a a bunch of things you have to play it. You have to play, but can play in any sequence before they op- before some other stuff opens up. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. I like that you, a lot. I think most people. I think most people tend to burn through all of them in a row right before what's obviously the point of no return. Uh huh. <laughs> Especially because there's a couple of characters you only get until right before the point of no return. Hmm. So it's can I can I give you a quick rundown of kind of like what it seems these games seem like to me from the outside for the most I guess. part? I guess let's go ahead. It kind, of, it kind of seems like Mass Effect One is sort of mediocre but cute. Like there's a lot of charm there that a lot of people connect with. Yeah, is that fair? Like in terms of general consensus or what I think about the game? Yeah, in terms of what you think about the game. In terms of what I think about the game, I think the game is is actually good, okay. but it's clunky. And that's I'm not just and I'm good. not talking about I'm not talking about the vehicle combat necessarily, because mm-hmm. I think the you get the hang of the vehicle combat eventually. Mm-hmm. It's not very good, but there's so much of it that eventually you just kind of get used to it. I think. Mm-hmm. I think what with is, me and go ahead. Sorry. What's worse about the game is the inventory system. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of a nightmare. Oh my god, it's like it's like album cover view on iTunes or something like that, and that's your only way of interfacing with something. It's so monotonous and time-consuming to figure out which weapons you're going to get rid of and which ones you're going to keep and why you might want to keep them, having to figure out a way to take all of the good upgrades off of weapons you don't want so you can repurpose for them for weapons you do. It's slow... You really just want like a list menu, or like a or like a Kotor Dragon Age style character equip screen. I think Mass Effect One was when I really started thinking about UI. Yeah, so. Mass Effect One was very bad because it was so terrible. Yeah, Mass Effect One's Mass Effect One's UI is almost like it's something that really hurts repeat playthroughs. Like, even on something like Metal Gear Solid 1, mm-hmm. where, like, the fixed camera angle and, like, the inability to, like, aim in first person r- makes it really kind of hard to play that game nowadays. Oh, I love the camera cameras in that game, though. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it really... I think it... it works I get you, though. Because it, it works because it helps impose that game's oppressive survival horror atmosphere on you. Mm-hmm. Which I think is something that goes unappreciated about that original one, as mm-hmm. opposed to the Twin Snakes and all of its sequels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the problem is, is that they force the shitty combat on you. I think the the stairs sequence is infamous for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the back half is more of that those set pieces type yeah. beats. Yeah. So I guess let's hear what your impression of Mass Effect Two and Three is. Uh, Mass Effect Two sounds like it's actually good. And- <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> For me, it's it sounds like Mass Effect One was old Bioware, and Mass Effect Two kind of became modern Bioware, where it's like, hey, let's uh, let's make this playable to like a wider audience and not just Western RPG PC yeah. diehards. 
And also the thing with me and ME1 was that, like, every time they tried to do, like, a serious story beat, it fell really flat for me. Like, when they had, like, the big triumphant orchestra before you leave the Citadel, Mm -hmm. like, you are Shepard, you will do this thing. And I'm just like, wow. And then, like, I remember somebody, I remember, like, somebody on Giant Bomb saying something to the effect of, like, oh, man, when the Reapers are first introduced in Mass Effect 1, it's one of the most intense, cool sequences in video games. Like, that's one of my favorite moment scenes in anything. And I'm just like, really? Yeah, because I thought that was kind of... I thought that was kind of wimpy and... I... I thought that was wimpy and predictable. Yeah. Just, it seemed like nothing in that game really landed hard. I feel like Mass Effect 2 looks good enough that I kind of want to... Because Mass Effect 1 was still, like, playable. It I yeah. still, like, had a good time just kind of chewing through it and talking to folks, and the ship music is very pretty. Yeah. Um, the ultimate problem with skipping Mass Effect 1 is that if you don't happen to have a Mass Effect 1 save file, it defaults to, you know... Basically, it defaults to Shepard was, like, to- like, 100% Renegade... <laughs> Oh, that's pretty funny. Really? If I play the game, I'm probably going to play it pretty renegade, so that's pretty funny. Yeah. So, but I'm probably going to play Mass Effect 1, because I still kind of enjoyed it. It's just like, yeah, this is... Oh, it, speak, is speaking Coder, of story Coder beats... One, is Coder 1 better? Because none of these games really seem to <laughs> interest me. <laughs> KOTOR 1 is so much better than the first Mass Effect game, okay. at the very least. That That's... That's good to hear, at least, because it sort of seems like every major Western RPG series is just bad. (laughs) And it's hard for me to deal with. Dragon Age is pretty good. I still, I honestly still have to finish Inquisition, but Dragon Age 1 and 2 are really good. Dragon Age 2 sounds cool. (laughs) I thought 2 was the one everyone really hated. 2 is... Two is the one that, like, everyone hated, but then everyone, like, later on was like, no, this is actually the best one. Okay, it's so the here's vibe the vibe I'm getting. <laughs> here's the thing about here's the thing about two. Two right. has two has the best dialogue and characters. Okay, that's pretty significant. But they reuse dungeons constantly, and the story is sort of like three smaller story chunks in the same game. It's structured like the Digimon movie, actually. <laughs> oh jeez. Or Mega Dungeon Neptunia. Yeah, where like these three stories are like all kind of lead into the other, lead one into the other, but like there's there's like a time skip in between each one. Sometimes uh-huh. of quite a few years. Interesting. So it's like, and really, you know, they made a big deal about the invasion of the Kunari, the big troll people, uh-huh. which is the second act of the game. But really, that is completely resolved by the second act, and it's just minor things from the first one that carry over and the political situation that results that sets up the third act. Because it yeah. becomes 100% about Templars versus Mages. Interesting. Which is kind of... It's not exactly what Dragon Age Inquisition is, but that favors in quite heavily. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of people's complaints with 2 is that the world is just a lot smaller and more contained, whereas for me that's they, kind of... and reused, they reuse a lot of the same areas. For lots me, of reused maps. <laughs> that seems like kind of a selling point for me, because like, if you if I'm actually developing... Are, is a bunch of the game taking place in like one city? Yeah. It's that one city, awesome. It's one city and a couple of the outlying areas. 
that sounds way better to me than like giant RPG world, like like you know Midgard I mean, and Final Fantasy VII. I mean, for, I mean for Reldon, for Reldon, an entire country feels about as big as one city, Kirkwall in Dragon Age Two. Cool. And then Dragon Age Inquisition's problem is that it's too big. Mm-hmm. That game is Boring. fucking huge. Boring. All right, I'll play Dragon Age Two maybe. Um, maybe I just I just would like to enjoy a Western RPG at some point. I think my best avenues for that are Mass Effect Two and Fallout New Vegas. Your best avenue for that is Kotor. Maybe <laughs> I don't know, dude. Kotor is so good. I actually had Kotor and tried it a couple times. So maybe maybe at some point in the future I'll try the Mass Effect games in earnest because I think those because they have more story and characters and. Yeah. momentum and like set pieces yeah. and cool shit. Mass Effect 2 is basically just a character study because like yeah. the main player <laughs> barely advances in that game. Cool. It's just yeah, there's, characters. Yeah, everything I'm... is built it's all about the characters interacting as you're building up to one big mission that you know is coming basically from the first like ten first like three hours of the game. That sounds fucking awesome. I'm so there for that. When I, I think Mass Effect, yeah. Mass Effect 2 is generally considered the best. Okay. Yeah. Definitely now, I mean. <laughs> At the time, I, I remember people getting pissed off because it wasn't enough of an RPG. And the Because it wasn't boring was enough, I guess. Well, I mean, they took away most of... They took away pretty much all the exploration and uh, the inventory system and massively scaled down the character creation and advancement in terms of, like, your skills and powers. All that just it's very it's extremely it streamlined. It's they extremely should. streamlined. I just heard that in my head. Like they made it better. They made it better. Yeah. They made it better. They made it more fun. They made it and, better. Yeah. <laughs> and then Mass, and then Mass Effect Three streamlines the planet scanning. Huh. <laughs> How's Mass Effect Three? I don't really have much of an opinion there. I liked I, it a lot. I, I thought it yeah. was good. I didn't hate the ending. I thought the ending was fine. Yeah, it seems like that that reaction was very overblown. Oh, I turned off the internet for like a month. Yeah, that would be insufferable if you were invested in that series and it ended and it was good and you were like, and everyone was screeching about it. Ugh. I mean, honestly, I think that's a majority opinion because enough people bitched that they made an extended cut and then that made people even... That made people even more angry because it basically torpedoed one of the most popular fan theories about the original ending. <laughs> so, Mass Effect 3. Um, yeah. Uh, I think it's biggest... Mass Effect 3's biggest flaw for me is how much of the side content you have to do in order to be able to choose all of the various ending options. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I'm pretty... I don't know if they've patched this out now that you know this game is fucking, five, is fucking almost five years old. Mm-hmm. But uh, you used to basically have to do at least some multiplayer if you wanted, like, because you literally couldn't get enough points to unlock all three endings. Yeah, that That's was, pretty strange. That was really crazy. Yeah, it, it's not like the multiplayer was bad, but I also didn't give a shit. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just such a. It's kind of like how there's all online multiplayer and Dragon Ball Fusions that I don't give a shit about. <laughs> it's like, hmm, what should we force players of the single player 
story-based RPG to do. I know, multiplayer. Like, it's oil and vinegar or whatever. Like, yeah. water, oil. Meaningless. I, I mean, oil and vinegar don't mix either unless you okay. put a little spice... <laughs> But just Unless like, you put some spicy brown mustard and put it all into a cocktail shaker and shake it up to emulsify it. That, I'm just saying, like, things that are polar opposites. Like, why would you force multiplayer in that series of all things? It just yeah, makes no mm-hmm. sense. It's just Gears of War squad-level combat. God, that's so strange. It's like, you know, the kind... It's, it's like, you know, the functional but not that interesting part of the game. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, uh, I just want to say one thing for John, though. If if you play Mass Effect 1 again and get bored, just skip to 2, because 2 felt like a generational upgrade to me. Where it's just like, that's fucking awesome. Because, like, I played those games after they were out, so I just bought the first two on Steam, and, like, the, the same night I finished 1, I started 2, and was just like, oh my god, this feels so good to play now. It, yeah, like, it is. insane. Ugh. God. All that footage of Andromeda was making me just think, like, maybe I should just play two again, because I can't go back to one. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, knowing uh, that it can be that short, and that, really, I w- and I'll get to play it, I played it with the dude Shep the first time, so oh, yeah. I'm really uh, excited. I'm very mistake. excited to play with um, Jennifer Hale, because yeah, she kills she's it. A much, she's a much better voice actress, for one. <laughs> yeah, and more interesting. And I think I gave him just, like, the default soldier bald thing and named him John. I was very <laughs> unimaginative at the time. John from the show Lost. <laughs> John Mass Effect. <laughs> John Dark Souls and Death Grips the Lore Friendly Companion. <laughs> oh, God. I was I was trying to spout some Death Grips lyrics, but I almost accidentally started singing Beastie Boys instead. So I'm just going to move on. <laughs> All right, is that Mass Effect? Yeah, I should play I guess, Mass Effect Two at I some guess point. One, one thing I am doing this time is my first, my original Raven Shepherd. Mm-hmm. Raven Shepherd was the goodiest of goody goods. Mm-hmm. Ugh. So this uh-huh. time I'm being the bastard of bastards, and the bastardry <laughs> is really good in Mass Effect. Yeah, Polly played an evil Finchep, and I was like, oh, I should have done that, because she sounds so vicious. Uh, She's like a really mean, sadistic dom just beating the shit out of you. That's fabulous! I think I'm going to replay this game as Iris Heart Shepherd. (laughs) God, that's good. Yeah, so uh, that's Mass Effect. Cool. Um, well, let's go to Rhett. Oh, wait. Rhett played Nier uh, yeah. and nothing else. I played some Binding of Isaac, but we've talked that thing to death. I mean, I play Binding... I play at least one run of Binding of Isaac every day. God. I've started doing the dailies after, like, getting burned by Afterbirth Plus and being like, eh. I uninstalled Afterbirth Plus. Fuck that. Fuck that yeah. expansion. I've played a little bit of Rebirth. I'll get to it at some point. Okay. Rebirth and Afterbirth are really good. Yeah, I'll get to it at some point. I don't like. Um, I don't act. I don't actively play for like the completionist because I I'm really not very good at it. But I have like killed all of the major bosses. I even managed to get to the void mm-hmm. and to oh. the void boss in Afterbirth Plus. Fuck that. The void mother boss fuck is that. the worst thing they have ever added to that game, and I did everything as the Lost in the Keeper and earlier versions, yeah. but I can't Uh-oh. fucking beat Delirium as Maggie, a normal character. <laughs> I had, I got to Delirium as Azazel, I had like 
I had like Pentagram, Cricket's Head, Ludovico. Oh, yeah, Ludovico with him is real good. And you still oh, Ludovico lost. with him, and I still lost. Oh. If only I had got. If only I had gotten Nod Leaf. That's how I beat Ultra Greed my first time. Because I had Nod Leaf and Ludovico, so I just like <laughs> went and made a sandwich. Yeah. Ah, uh, but that's Mass Effect. Yeah, so we, we actually did manage to talk about punning of Isaac there. Well, that was that, that, that was very short, John. What else you got? Yeah. What else have I got? Um, so I have not played any Porpentine games. Porpentine games. Oh, so we can just cross that I, off the list. No, no. Before I um. But even though, like... They, they've, they've not been, played Porpentine up to this point. Oh, had not. <laughs> yeah. I thought you said have not. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Up until now. Up until now. And they've been kind of on my radar for ages, and I just didn't do them at all. I linked y'all that Twitter thread, and it has, like, screenshots and albums with beats from it. Um, she's made a bunch of games and a bunch of text games, like, been kind of, like, at the forefront of, like weird queer twine games basically hmm. and i just haven't touched them so i'm uh, i'm a i've i'm aware of porpentine mm -hmm. i think i've avoided the games for some reason i don't know there was a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of queer there's a lot of queer twine maker drama <laughs> yeah it's because i did, avoided them because game makers i followed told me she was evil and a horrible person and then other people told me that those queer game makers were evil and horrible people. And then I was like, oh, wait a second. I don't actually give a shit about any of this. Twitter. They're not my friends. I mean, I, mean, I, I can't in good conscience play anything <sighs> Merit Copus makes anymore. Well, that, that's, of, yeah. It that, was, that was a much... That was a much more she was in the wrong and doubled down on being in the wrong kind of thing. Yeah. Because that's the thing is, like, I've heard shitty things about Porpentine, and I've heard shitty things about Anthropy, and then Copas I've heard shitty things, and also she was personally lousy about non-binary people, so that was shitty. Um, yeah, so it's sort of like it's sort of like a matter of yeah, whatever. The, the, the thing I'm talking the thing I'm talking about will just completely kill the mood of this podcast. So let's uh, move actually, on from that. Uh, okay. <laughs> I've been steering on this shit all, all week because I realized that, oh, I've been avoiding this artist I could probably would have really connected with five years ago because I was paying attention to drama, basically, and ugh, I, I can't believe how much I just got sucked into paying attention to the social goings-ons of people who aren't my friends. Like, just caring about that really drained me until eventually just was like, alright, I'm out. Mm. Ugh. So, so done there. So then I actually finally played a bunch of Porpentine games, and they're like weird, harrowing Gyro twine shit that's really up my alley. And like, God, they, they're like esoteric and weird and abstract. And I could see folks really not digging them. Like, just knowing, like, Polly's reaction to, like, We Know the Devil. Like, I think this probably wouldn't be your jam, because it kind of operates on a lot of the same wavelengths, um, where they just kind of... Specific subplot and whatnot are just kind of left up in the air. Mm. Um, 
and you're just it's just kind of about communicating a mood and they they really do that well the first i played um with those we serve alive um the tagline is serve the empress mm. and i played howling dogs um and with those we serve with those we um serve alive is you are or those we love alive is you are a craftsperson an artisan making weapons and items for an alien queen an alien empress and you're basically just a servant a forcible forced servant doing these things and it has a very cathartic climax and it has a nice gay love story that made me happy. Um, that was a bit of a jump there. Yeah. Making yeah. weapons, gay love story. It's it's hard to describe because it's more like, it's a lot more like poetry than the stuff I'm usually into. And I don't really have a strong vocabulary for talking about poetry or talking about stuff that's just kind of operating on creating a mood and feelings. Um mm -hmm sort of indirectly versus just, you know, telling a straightforward story. Um, that's not really what my vocab critical vocabulary is built around. So this stuff was also kind of challenging. But I think you can kind of get through in that thread is like um, that it just like got under my skin in a weird, cool way, both of these games, because they're very similar, actually. Um, with, with those we love live was clearly made later and feels a little more polished and has pretty music, but they both kind of got to me to the same level. Um, mm. Yeah, I really fucking like these games. I think it, yeah, I think you can look down through some of those screenshot quotes. Like, mm. this is just like a scenery. Like, there's also a lot of like weird Mad Libs type stuff where she'll have like setting details randomly generated from scene to scene. Like, pale shriveled humans sleep forever on the floor. Pipes run from their heads into iron barrels. This batch has a fine chartreuse color. You take a sip, a bouquet of fight or flight, a powerful flavor of defiance, and an aftertaste of humiliation. A whip made of dream-dripped steel and nymph gut was another <clears throat> one. Wow. Princess spores have burst from the Empress. Everyone is running around laughing and crushing the spores as they drift to the ground. Mm. There's just a lot kinda of... kind of fucked up. Yeah! It's it's a it's different very... flavor. Yeah? It, it's imagery that reminds me of the lyrics to Man That You Fear by Marilyn Manson. The Empress is naked in her bath of worms. She is thinking. Mm. <laughs> Spread me open, sticking to my pointy ribs are all your infants in abortion cribs. God. <laughs> and then they'll just, and then there'll just be lines that hit like a train because the rest of it is, there's so much abstractness. Some of it will just really hit like, she stabs the dagger into your leg, you slide to the floor. God. Nice. Um, so it's, like, something like Sabbath honestly feels a lot more playful. Does that make sense? Mm. Like, Sabbath feels kind of warmer and more straightforwardly cathartic. This is 
Yeah, different. Sabat Sabat is supposed to be gratifying. Yeah, it's a power fantasy. Um, This is dealing with weird trauma. It's it's the catharsis of expelling these traumatic traumatic experiences and dealing with it. It's probably kind of um, maybe resonates with me in a little bit similarly to like problematic, but I'd have to stew on that some more. Problematics obviously uses a completely different language. Um, so I'm, that was kind of the hardest one to talk about because they're of the things this week, but they were maybe, um, aside from near, probably the most important for me. Um, I really enjoyed those games and I kind of want to play more for games down the line. Cool. Hey, Taylor. Yes. Are you, have you been up to anything else? I have. Uh, one quick thing I can talk about is I've been listening to two different, uh, I guess this has been called an actual play podcast. Okay. Where basically it's just a podcast where people record themselves playing tabletop RPGs. Okay. Which one have you been listening to? Two. All right. So I've gotten through the first uh, storyline of The Adventure Zone by the brothers McElroy and Father. Mm. That's Uh, my favorite podcast. It's okay. (laughs) John, it gets better. I've been told. Hey, hey Taylor, keep. I I know John loves. Yeah, that's what I've what I've heard is that you really have to stick with it, but you mm-hmm. have to keep going past there. Here, there be gerblins. without a doubt. Yeah, they, it's one of those things that does kind of also just keep getting better with every arc. Yeah, so I'm getting into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot to catch up with, but I'm working yeah. on it. Um, I'm also listening to a much smaller a- actual play podcast called The Wheel and the Way, uh-huh. which is which is at wheelandway.tumblr.com. Uh, they play. It's another fantasy RPG. They use a system called Dungeon World instead of D anD D Fifth Edition. Uh huh. Which I think helps a little bit for this kind of thing because D anD D is kind of really, especially nowadays, like a, almost like a tabletop miniatures game. Fifth uh-huh. Edition tried to make Fifth Edition tried to take it back to like the AD and D abstractness a little bit more, but it's still a lot of like moving figures around on a grid in combat kind of stuff. Yeah, they really have to streamline that shit a lot in the Adventure Zone. Yeah, so uh, there's not as much of that in Dungeon World because it's a very different kind of system. And, I don't know, I don't... I feel like most of the people who'd be listening to this podcast are personal friends of the people involved because it's such a small thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like very... Lots of the character... Pretty much all of the characters are like gay and trans and non-binary because also all of the players are. <laughs> That's real nice. So it's a really different kind of... It's It starts off as like a kind of slightly more gritty fantasy game. Right now it's like a, it's like a freaky Monster Girls Yuri manga. <laughs> really? But yeah, totally. Alright, that's there's, very good. There, there's like... There's like a a human assassin and, like, a half-orc mage that are doing a will-they-won't-they thing because the half-orc mage is clueless. And there's, like, a dryad girl in love with a frickin' hunter. (laughs) Do I think is human? I don't know. Star-crossed love. 
Yeah, so it's it's pretty interesting, and they are so snarky to each other. It's great. That's excellent. Podcasts yeah. are good. Yeah, podcasts are pretty cool. Hey, hey, Taylor. Yeah, you should keep listening to the Adventure Zone. It's I'll very keep, good. I'll keep listening to the Adventure Zone. Yeah, it's very special. I dropped it for a couple months between um, the first and second arcs, and then picked it back up, and then pl- listened through to the end. Huh. The second arc's very good. The second cool. full arc, the trained arc, it's very good. I, I was telling somebody, uh, <laughs> I don't, like, again, I have no idea what happens if avoided spoilers, but I'm like, I wonder how these people are going to react when they realize that somebody dies in a D&D campaign eventually. Because <laughs> there comes a point where the dice just screw you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've, they talk about how they deal with that, how they engage with that kind of thing on the behind the scenes podcasts it's really cool it, I, I mean, always think it's more scripted than it is because it's so refined story wise it so connects emotionally but then a lot of that is just stuff that they that was on totally on the fly and it blows my mind the art of dungeon uh, mastering is making stuff that just happened seem like something you planned all along yeah they're very good griffin's very good at that yeah, so Griffin uh, Griffin actually is a pretty good DM. Yeah, my whole my media diet has been like fifty percent McElroy for the last year, and this is my favorite thing that they've done. It's pretty <laughs> great. Yeah, so I'll probably when I get sick of Spotify Shuffle, I use I'll probably like throw on another episode in the car or something. Cool. Yeah, it, and then there's the intermission arcs cool too. They you learn more about the setting and. Basically, it starts. It stops being stock D and D stuff, and starts being Griffin's story. Oh and yeah, that's I, when, and that's when it really starts picking up. Yeah, I know. I know the first one was is out of an adventure module with, yeah. which is what when you're starting with a new group, especially if you got some people who either haven't played at all or haven't played much or haven't played in a really long time. They're usually a good way to ease everybody into it, but you got to mm. cut that shit fast because the writing's usually not very good. Yeah, I'm really I really like Magic Brian, so I thought that was I really like the I like how that arc winds down, even if it's not as cathartic as the other ones. It's still fun. <laughs> God, I fucking did you finish the first arc? I did. Cool. Yeah, the climax is pretty. It's pretty cool. Boy, they... <laughs> not to spoil yeah. anything for anybody, but boy, do they fuck up a few things. Yep. Yeah, they let those cut. They have. That show's very good about consequence, also. Yeah. I mean, when it's D&D, it kind of has to have consequences every once in a while. Yeah, but man, there are things that... Otherwise, your characters just get too powerful. (laughs) Yeah, they... Griffin handles that handily during the Suffering Game arc, and then Ah. 11th Hour deals with consequences a lot. Oh my god, that's that's the best fucking show in the universe. Um, That's my favorite ongoing story I'm keeping up with right now. (laughs) i'll keep i'll keep giving a shot at it fuck and it's wrapping up so and the the first the campaign is wrapping up so like by the time you're done with it it'll probably be finished and it'll probably have an amazing ending (laughs) like finished or good (laughs) um no they're gonna keep doing they're gonna start a new campaign like friends at the table does Um, but it'll be new characters and whatnot so this story is wrapping up I mean, I figured I figured the concept wouldn't go away if they like doing it and it's popular. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm re- I'm very glad for that. But it's cool that this story is also reaching a very logical and extremely cool 
climax. Ugh. I started. I tried listening to Friends at the Table, and it was harder. The harder for me. I'm. I, I really like the idea of it, but it seems a lot more lorey. Yeah. <sighs> for I had a, I had a fourth edition campaign that went from like 2011 to like late 2014. We took a group of characters most of whom were the same from start to finish with the same players from first cool. level to max level. Fucking cool. And That's we were really ending... Bad. I think we were ending... It might have even been like 2015 because we knew 5th edition was right around the corner. Mm-hmm. So we, we basically beat 4th edition by the time 5th came out. We yes. went to hell... We, we basically went through like 10 layers of hell got to the bottom and kick or and kicked the demon prince's on uh, the demon prince of undeath's ass you went to super saiyan god super saiyan <laughs> i mean when you're a max when you hit max level in D D, you basically become a demigod oh <laughs> i like i really want to do more role-playing we should start a role-playing cast oh, believe it or not believe it or not i'm actually in talks with a few people to do one based on like pro wrestling <laughs> <laughs> But I, I'd be totally willing to run something based on something a little less niche. <laughs> <laughs> I really like... I, I haven't been able to do enough tabletopping. It seems very fun to me. Oh, it's really great. Cool. Uh, I, I haven't been doing it as much lately because me and my group just have, like, really busy schedules right now. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to get back into it. I'd cool. probably like to do something more sci-fi because, dear God, I'm sick of playing fantasy games. Yeah, that's probably what I would want to do too. I'm very I mean, up for that. I mean, when you had a game that went every four every week for like four years. Mm-hmm. Plus, plus I don't like fifth edition that much, but that's a fucking topic for a podcast in and of itself. <laughs> probably. Never stopped this before though. Yeah. Is there anything yeah, else you've been listening to? Well, uh interesting you say listening to. Oh, <gasps> Because it's time for Taylor's Music Power Hour. So yeah, uh been listening to a lot of new music that's come out this year. Yeah. Um there's been there's been some good ones so far. Uh it's it's not it's not like 2016 was nuts because it felt like something amazing was coming out like every other day. And this mm-hmm. year started off a little slower, uh, more mm-hmm. like sort of like how 2015 started, but ended up mm-hmm. being really good. But we've had some really good stuff. Uh, the ones that stick out to me most right now are, uh, I just I've been listening to a lot of uh, album called Heartless by the band Paul Bearer. Mm-hmm. And Paul what Bearer kind of music is that? They're like doom metal, but. Uh, okay. They're like, they're doomy, slow, sludgy, heavy metal type stuff. But I tell people Paul Bear is like a good, uh, is like a good gateway drug to extreme metal because there's no harsh vocals. Mm-hmm. So it's like all melodic singing, no like death growls oh, nice. or anything. Yeah, that's really nice. Yeah, so it's not like, a, it's not like getting into something like, you know, black metal or something like that. It's a little yeah. more. That's, that's kind of, can be inaccessible. It's more accessible than most like extreme metal bands nowadays. <laughs> uh-huh. And so this is a really good album. Uh they it, I think it's been like 4 years since their last one came out or something like that. But this mm-hmm. one's really solid. It's a nice little uh 
sort of like it's a bit of a long album. It clocks in at about an hour, but it's a solid hour, and it really is kind of gripping from start to finish. Mm-hmm. That's real cool. Yeah. And uh, just today, I got uh, I pre-ordered this album on vinyl. Even uh, it's uh, a band called it's an album called Vigilance Perennial by the band Falls of Rouse. I have not heard of them. What are they like? What what kind of music do they play? They are an atmospheric uh, sort of melodic black metal band from Portland, Maine. That's cool. And they do, despite the name coming from Tolkien, they're actually not Tolkien-based. They're, they mostly sing songs about, like, you know, the presence of nature and how being in nature is at once supremely calming but also horrifyingly isolating <laughs> to be completely alone for miles in every direction. Mm-hmm. And sort of like how the human condition is kind of weird about you know, the difference between nature and modern society and shit like that. And this is a a five-song album. They're all, like, nine-plus minutes. Excellent. Uh, With titles like White Granite, Labyrinth Unfolding Echoes, Warm Quiet Centuries of Rains, Arrow and Kiln, and Impermanence Streaked Through Marble. Which is interestingly because this is a milky white vinyl. (laughs) All right. As in, it is the the vinyl itself is white. Yeah, that's cool. Vinyl. All Color right. Vinyl is the thing, John. <laughs> it's like one oh. of the limited time releases. My my copy of Abyss by Chelsea Wolf is baby blue. That was my album of the year, 2015. Good <laughs> uh, I'm actually Good on ass. the on the subject of music. There's, I see a lot of concerts. <laughs> uh huh. Um, last month I saw AFI. Who are they? Uh, they're the American Film Institute. No, a fire inside. <laughs> okay. Same. They sang that. They sang that song, "Miss Murder," like eleven years ago. God, I am so music illiterate. It hurts yeah. so bad. Uh, I need to listen to y'all's podcast more. Yes, you uh, should, John. We joke I, every time about how you're never going to listen to it. <laughs> I've, I listened to the first four, so <laughs> I need to get back into it. It's uh, it's hard for. It's you'd hard like, for me because... You'd like the one about Boris. <laughs> mm-hmm. And maybe the one about Coheed. It's so funny because, like, I I play so many video games and I connect with so many video games. And then it's just, like, as of late, it's been, like, I really just want to connect deeply with, like, music and movies and books. And so I'm, like, making this big effort with a lot of those. Not so much with music. I think, although I was responsible for one of your... I think I was responsible for one of your big musical discoveries, Loveless by My Bloody Valentine. Mm, good album. Very good album. Top five album for me. Yeah, that's a good fucking album. Of course, you listen to some of my some of the rest of my top five, like uh, Coheed and Cambria's Good Apollo Volume 1. That's like everyone in this group's top five basically right oh wait no that's not Rhett I kept thinking of Rhett as like oh yeah Rhett loves Coheed and Cambria yeah. no that's no that's me and Polly who are the big Coheed nuts yeah yeah I st- literally Rhett is just sitting right here saying these things and I still think oh yeah Rhett the co- the, the Rhett band that's, that's so the dream funny. theater fan totally I was different. about to say I was about to say I mean I I think that Dream Theater is boring, self-indulgent garbage <laughs> most of the time. Mm, I really like Dream Theater. 
I only like six degrees of inner turbulence. Images and words is very good. I associate images and words with my asshole guitar teacher, so <laughs> that awesome. album is forever. Gotcha. Uh, although, although "Pull Me Under" is the only Dream Theater song I know how to play. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> you said you were mentioning that earlier. I was like, oh yeah, the Dream Theater song because it's it's the easiest. Mm-hmm. That's funny. We tried. I tried showing Koyini Cambria to Anna, but then it got to like the um, part where it's like, and then I want to kill you. I, I, I want wanna... to murder you. <laughs> Well, I mean, did you explain the, con- the, the context of that? He had his girlfriend or wife, was it? And he may- was saying about her. So the context makes it better. Okay. Or worse. There's, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of, I wouldn't have started her with good Apollo volume one. <laughs> I haven't listened to any other Coheed and Cambria yet. So Most, all but one of them are really good. That's cool. Which is the one we talked about. I think I've been, trying, I think I've been trying to get it to Tool and failing. It's unfortunate. Oh, Tool is so good. I just need to get through. Under, I want to connect with the Undertow. And I've try, I tried to end hey, up. Stop, stop listening to Undertow. Listen to Lateralis. All right. I'll Off try Undertow. Lateralis and then Anima. And maybe 10,000 days. But Lateralis and Anima in that order. Because I did make it through Anima, but I didn't really connect emotionally. So I figured, okay, I need the, the build-up to this. And then that's that was Undertow. So all right, I'll try Lateralis. Maybe that'll be Later- the one. Lateralis is their magnum opus. All right, I'll give that one a shot. Music is good. Yeah, so... But yeah, the New Falls of Ravros is actually really good. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. definite shoe-in for the album of the year cast already. Awesome. Also, I'm going to count Run the Jewels as coming out in 2017, because just like the Baroness record I talked about last time, it came out after we did the album cast. <laughs> I and remember, I've heard the I've heard Run the Jewels. Who's Which band is that? Uh, they're a two-piece rap duo. That okay. Me and Polly are nuts about. Okay. They, they've been showing up in a lot of car commercials. And they have a lot of really good guest features, like Zach Delaroca from uh, Rage Against the Machine a couple of times. Cool. Travis Barker did drums on one of their songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. And uh, similarly, Nine Inch Nails had a new EP out, like, post-Christmas. Cool. How was that? That's actually really good. It's awesome. It's sort of like a... It's got, like, some of the noisiness and abrasiveness of downward spiral which has been missing for a long time but it's got some of the more like experimental electronic dancey elements built around it so it mm-hmm. sounds like a new nine inch nails thing cool i pretty much listened it, to pretty hate machine broken downward spiral fragile more than any other thing and they're probably my favorite music um yeah. i have not i've listened to very little contemporary nine inch nails that i just do that sometimes like antichrist superstar is my favorite marilyn Manson. And that it's also the only one I've listened to, even though I've listened to it like 20 times. It's weird. I won't step outside those. If you were only going to listen to one Marilyn Manson album, it should be Antichrist Superstar. (laughs) Yeah, it's just funny how I can get in those things where it's like, oh, I don't need to expand beyond this. And like if we're talking about my top five albums of all time, The Fragile is number two. Cool. Number 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 one is Disintegration by The Cure. Oh, I listened to that one, too. God, I just need to connect, think more, and connect. Yeah. <sighs> Music is hard. You have to uh, put, you have to kind of 
I don't know. Where yeah. you, you, that you have to listen to a, them generally more than once before they start clicking emotionally for me is sort of a a thing yeah. I deal with. Yeah, that's that's me for the most part. But there is some stuff that there's sometimes there's things out there that have just gripped me is, instantly. Like when I finally mm-hmm. got around to listening to the Swedish band Ghost. Mm-hmm. Oh, that band is so good. Cool. I think I was more. I was pretty like that with the um the um. Uh, Pink Floyd album I just listened to was, was Wish You Were wish, Here. Probably. Wish You Were Here. I was like, Wish? No, that's the that's the Nine Inch Nails song. Wish You Were Here. Yeah. Welcome, my son. Welcome oh, to the machine. I listen to that song a lot while making my game. Believe it or not. <laughs> I mean, wasn't the Echo the Dolphin level inspired by that song? Very explicitly. So I was getting in touch with the with the in, with the muse of my muse. <laughs> It's the it's the roots of the thing. Oh, now we're yep. talking about Muse. Jeez. Fuck Muse. <laughs> Fuck Muse. Well, probably the most boring live show I've ever been to. Damn. They played... Okay, here's what Muse was. Here was the Muse concert I went to. Ten songs <laughs> off the second law. Oh, woof. And I fucking hate the second law. Four songs off of four songs off of the resistance and black holes and revelations each. No zero songs off of their best album, Origins of Symmetry. I was gonna say Origins yeah. of Symmetry is the one on Red recommended when I did that big they, they they were doing a thing where they were either playing Newborn or Stockholm Syndrome. I got Stockholm Syndrome, which is a good song. But couldn't I have heard both instead of fucking follow me. I, I've only seen them once, and it was when Absolution was the newest album, so it was fine. They didn't Ooh. play Hysteria. Yeah, they opened with that. It, it was so loud, my ears just turned to yeah. static. <laughs> they, were, they were a pretty loud band, but far from the loudest I've ever seen. I've yeah. seen some fucking doozies. This like Rums... Like, for me, this was in like kind of a small club, not like a big stadium, and it, they were playing like it was a stadium. <laughs> Oh, jeepers. Oh, I've had that. When I saw the band Baroness, that was my experience. Gotcha. It's actually two out of the... My experience with two out of the three times I've seen Chelsea Wolf <laughs> <laughs> was in, like, a dive bar and really close to the PA system, so it was just fucking blasting your yeah. face off. Mm-hmm. But then, like, probably the loudest I've ever seen was Rammstein, which was louder than a stadium rock band in a stadium. And fireworks. <laughs> Speaking of concerts I'm going to, I'm going to see Coheed and Cambria played Good Apollo. I'm Burning Star 4 Volume 1 from Fear Through the Eyes of Madness in its entirety in Oakland, California this month. God damn, that's really cool. Yeah, and then that's in... That's very cool. And then at the start of... And then after that, I'm seeing Russian Circles, who are an instrumental, instrumental metal band I talk about on the most recent album of the year cast. Mm-hmm. And actually... They're how I found out about Chelsea Wolf because she opened for them in 2012. And I was like, who is this person? She makes really good music. <laughs> cool. John, you should listen to cool. Chelsea. John, you should listen to Abyss by Chelsea Wolf. <laughs> I will yeah. say that. That album's actually really, really good. All right. Yeah. Abyss by Chelsea Wolf. I think one problem that I realized with both books and album and music was that I was listening to a lot of angsty boys. <laughs> well, and reading was- a lot of and reading a lot of books by angsty men. Like well, all those classics, and it was like, 
maybe I need to step outside of the the you know the that it? sphere a little bit. Listen slightly. To, listen to really dark music just dripping with dread and agony made by a woman. Yay! Cool. <laughs> Though she insists that none of the music is based on her personal life because she thinks it's too cheesy if she did it that way. (laughs) Cool. All right, I'll I'll listen to that. And instead, she sings songs about Chinese factory workers who killed themselves and Robin Williams' suicide. (laughs) Jeepers. That's very good. That's the songs Iron Moon and Ma, respectively. Gotcha. All right. Um, One quick thing for me. Um, I read the novel Mort, which is one of the first Discworld books by Terry Pratchett, and it was probably the most I've enjoyed a novel in, like, a year or more. <laughs> I've always been really interested in that. That's the one with in the city, Ankh-Mor Pork, right? Yep. It stars um, Death taking on the apprentice named Mort, by coincidence. And, and his, it, isn't he, like, the shittiest wizard ever? <laughs> um, something like, he's not even a wizard when it starts off. He's just, like, a really... <laughs> crappy kid or like not crappy just like very clumsy and ineffective and very endearing by the story's end it gets it goes for it in a way i didn't expect it gets kind of anime and good and very happy i I described it as like happy anime existentialism because it's just the whole thing is just dealing with death as a concept and Oh, this with that. Fuck. It's a real... Yeah? I was thinking about the the character from the original book, Color of Magic. Gotcha. I haven't read that one. I started with this one because it seemed the most interesting. Well, Terry Pratchett said that was the first one he was actually pleased with. Cool. Yeah. I think that's not a... It's probably not a bad jumping on point if you don't want to dig through just the excuse plots to set up the jokes in the first three books. Yeah, it's literally, yeah, Death takes on an apprentice named Mort. Um, Mort um, is sent off on his first mission to kill, to um, to take on the departed soul of a beautiful princess, but he has fallen in love for, with her from earlier and doesn't kill her, and that starts fucking with the very fabric of reality because she was fated to die and bring about all these things. So uh, It's like... And- Final yeah. Destination from 1987. <laughs> that near the end of the book, there is a giant sphere of reality-altering energy closing in on this princess, changing everything back to the reality that it's supposed to be. And they're racing against this sphere of time energy to save her. Um, so, it's super ridiculous and amazing, actually. So hmm. it's the book version of Chrono Cross, is what you're saying? It's more it's more like the book version of Chrono Trigger thematically. It's uh, very I was, I was a I did I joined a group for one session in a mm-hmm. tabletop game called Mage the Awakening that ended with like I think he was like a chaos mage or something like that. I forget the exact terminology. But like mm-hmm. he accident he accidentally like probably destroyed all worlds everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> to stay constantly focused or at the least constantly draining a certain amount of other people's life forces to keep it away from the world he was in. <laughs> mm-hmm. God. So yeah, 
I really fucking liked Mort. I'm probably going to read more like Terry Pratchett and something instead of fucking Haruki Murakami or whatever and actually enjoy reading again. Oh, so. Murak- Murakami is so boring. <laughs> I've read three of them and I think I'm good now. I really liked the first one and then, okay, I'm done. Mm. Um, but yeah, books are cool. It's It was real nice to enjoy a book again. And yeah, I'm, I'm getting I'm getting good this year. I'm feeling good about it. Yeah. My problem is that because I read like 150 pages every day for law school, I have no desire to read for fun. Yeah, I don't have that problem. Like, if I did, it would be very hard for me, I think, hmm. to read for fun. God. Um, so, Brett, have we got any news? I think Taylor had one story. I do. Taylor, uh, tell us what is... our news is. So, uh, are you guys familiar with the hardware maker Mad Cats? It's yes, they made some of my controllers that I yeah. got as a kid. They made, like, PlayStation 2 memory cards and, like, third-party wireless controllers. I had, like, a... They had, they made, like, a smaller controller, like a PS2-sized controller for the original Xbox. <laughs> uh, so they're done. 100% done this time. That's They are... They are, according to an article for Kotaku, following a lengthy struggle with financial insolvency, gaming peripheral maker Madcats has formally ceased all operation. The company's directors and officers have resigned totally, and its assets will be liquidated. The company that spent that spent nearly three decades pumping out PC and console gaming gear is no more. They have assigned all of its property to a trustee, PricewaterhouseCoopers, which will oversee the liquidation of company assets in order to pay off debt, and they have filed for Chapter 7 bankruptcy in the U.S., which grants protection in order to facilitate the smooth liquidation of assets. I guess... They're done. Yeah, I guess after Rock Band 4, they, like, laid off 40% of their workforce... Yeah, I remember and, hearing that there was something that really fucked them. I wasn't sure if it was like Street Fighter controllers or Rock Band, but I guess it was Rock Band. Yeah. Um, shortly after announcing a new line of Tekken 7 arcade sticks, the company received listing deficiency notice from the New York Stock Exchange. The company was delisted last week as, share drop, as shares dropped to four cents a share. Oof. <laughs> That's worse than Planet Express was when it was worth less than when it was worthless. <laughs> Oof. Buy now while it's low. Yeah, so the Tekken Stinks the Tekken sticks were simply a reskin of an existing product. Mm-hmm. Ugh. They have been bleeding, blah blah blah. Basically, Mad Cats has been in a bind for a while, but um basically they're they're not just They're not like Radio Shack done or like, you know, Sears or JC Penny done where they're just closing a bunch of locations and like and like restructuring. They're like borders done. They're going away. Forever. <laughs> God. That was so surreal when borders closed. Uh, I bought so many fucking RPG books. <laughs> when they were closing, we bought we wound up buying a bunch of shelves there. It was felt like looting. It was oh. bizarre. <laughs> they probably didn't care. Honestly, if you had just stolen a bunch of shelving, I doubt they would have cared. God. Yeah, so, Alright, uh, so Mad Cats is done. Mad Cats is dead. Alright. Kind of, that's kind of... That's kind of freaky, because I think every single person who plays video games at, on consoles especially has probably wrapped their hands around a Mad Cats controller at some point. Yeah, mm-hmm. but we hated like, that they had such a bad reputation for decades, basically. 
Yeah, I mean, honestly, I my response on Twitter was good, Rinus, honestly, because their their gear was horrible. <laughs> like, I don't know how they've existed since 1989, making like consistently the worst third party peripherals you could buy. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. been a weird journey for them. Yeah, there's a character so- in Dive Kick who wears a Mad Cat shirt, like modeled after somebody who worked there. Oh my god. It's that game is very self-aware in weird ways. That game is so bizarre, man. But yeah, I've been looking I was looking for more gaming news, but I think this was kind of the biggest like Yeah. You know. Yeah. This was the biggest this was the biggest bomb that dropped. Yeah. Mm. I just couldn't find anything for this week and like I hadn't heard about this, so it made sense. Yeah. So Shit. do we have any questions? We have one question. This comes in from Raniac the Maniac, our fake British friend. Which game? Oh, my, how you doing then? <laughs> Which game would you most like to see an independent, air quotes, spiritual sequel to, like Ukulele or Bloodstained? Uh, can can I say? Can we just assume that they're made by a real studio and not fucking like kickstarted and never come out for five years? <laughs> I mean, good games do take time to make. I'm shocked how fast Ukulele's turnaround has been. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess most of I mean, I guess most of the games I have kickstarted, I've enjoyed like read only memories. Yeah, Kickstarter yeah. seems like it's been pretty decent for like Undertale. Yeah, Undertale. I don't really one, Shovel Knight. Oh, uh, I didn't even know Undertale was one. But yep. that's the thing. Undertale got like six thousand dollars or something. Like it was super low profile. Like nobody knew. It got it got fifty thousand. It got fifty thousand. Oh, which is, maybe it was asking for six thousand. It was asking for five thousand okay. dollars, and they made fifty thousand. But still, and then there are. was, but Broken Age got like two point five million or something like yeah, that. Mighty Number mm-hmm. Nine. It was still not millions of dollars like the bigger profile ones are, like Shenmue yeah. as well. Hmm. So, what's your guys' answers? Because I think I have one. I I don't mind. Mine Go ahead. Be, my first, my immediate first thought was Panzer Dragoon. Either like oh. a round shooter like Zwei or an RPG like Saga. I don't care. Badass. And then I thought, oh, I'd also like to see a Mega Man Legends. Oh, oh no! <laughs> it's like abort, abort. Oh, tr- yeah, that's what that <laughs> Kickstarter did. Hey, I just realized. And then, some, and then some Chinese investment company made up the difference, and well, it's happening anyway. Well, let's see if we ever see it again. <laughs> I wouldn't be hey, surprised I'm if not, we didn't. I'm not holding my breath, especially after Mighty Number no. Nine was such a steaming pile oh, of fucking God. dog shit. And like they haven't fulfilled the physical rewards for that, and like the Vita version isn't out ever, even though it's advertised oh. on the PS4 box. Yeah. I hey, hey Ray. I actually, I actually bitched and got my money back for my PS4 copy. That's <laughs> cool. That never happens. My physical copy. I still have my awesome. Steam key, but I've never. I played it a little bit. It's 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 not the worst game. It's just offensively boring, basically. Yeah. You know, that's... Okay. Here's the thing about offensively boring. If I get some of my friends together, we get a little drunk, and we plug in Star Wars The Phantom Menace for PlayStation 1. Mm-hmm. Now, that game is aggressively shitty. <laughs> But it's fucking hilarious to play with a group of friends and some alcohol. Mighty Number no. Nine would not be fun to play ever. <laughs> I don't know. You can make it's... fun of that voice acting for sure. Oh god, the fucking voice. Acting. 
Stephen Bloom, what have they done to you? John, I think you were going to say something. Yeah, so you wanted a game that was a successor to, like, Panzer Dragoon, both as, like, a rail shooter and RPG, just kind of formally, and also something that's kind of like Mega Man Legends? Uh-huh. It's kind of near Automata, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the rail shooter stuff in that was definitely scratching a good itch. Yeah, and kind of just near the way that... does feel really good. <laughs> yeah, and the way that world kind of fits together neatly. It, it fits together. Kind of reminds me of Mega Man, that, and also robots with feelings. Does that make A two? Does that mean that A two is Tron? Oh, geez. definitely. God, Miss Tron, whatever her name was. Miss Tron. You see, I hated that game even as a kid. Maybe oh. I'd like it better now. Oh, I can't fucking believe I did this, y'all. What? I made a big mistake. What? I, for- I totally forgot about Boyfriend of Death 2. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, well, there's always next week. I was yeah. Like, should, we, should we let... Are you guys too tired to let John talk about Boyfriend of Death 2? It's pretty, it's pretty uh, late. It's right. pretty late. It's, yeah, we don't need to... We don't need to talk about the my most anticipated game of 2017. That <laughs> turned out fucking amazing. I haven't I haven't completed... Gotten all the endings yet. It's, maybe it's okay to pull off. <sighs> yeah. John, John, what spiritual uh, sequel would you like to see? <laughs> Oh, I would like to see, um, fuck, I knew exactly what I wanted. Oh, yeah, more treasure games, actually. Oh, I mean, those don't even have to be spiritual sequels. Just treasure, please make games again, please. Or just, like, just make things that feel like treasure games, because Platinum is different. They're their own thing. I was just about to say, hey, Nier Automata is kind of scratching that itch, too, though. I mean, yeah, it kind of is, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, Platinum is kind of the closest to, like, contemporary treasure it really really is like yeah they, they made like they're the gunstar heroes and ikaruga people right yeah. yep all right yeah it's platinum's pretty much scratching that itch mm. they just, all right so near hey gal near is really good yeah <laughs> <laughs> what else is new right okay uh, i got a weird one this will actually no, i've got fuck it i've got two Okay. Okay. Will never happen. Like, will never happen. But if they did, sign me up. Bushido Blade. Everyone loves that game, right? Yeah. Yeah, but but never gonna happen. (laughs) Yeah. In official capacity, but aren't there kind of melee fighting games on Steam that kind of are in the same vein of, like, the one-hit kill thing? I mean, if there are, I have never heard or played of them. But I'd like a... I'd like a proper, like, triple-A level, like, new Bushido Blade yeah, type thing. Yeah, happening. I mean, Square in general doesn't do, like, the non-RPG stuff, really, anymore. Yeah, yeah I'm holding out for that Einhander, too. <laughs> oh, but Einhander was so good, though! I know. Hey, y'all, oh. Square PS1 games are kind of really good. Even when they're Mostly. really bad. <laughs> like Final Fantasy VIII. I will stand up for Final Fantasy, and I don't care what <laughs> oh, you say. I don't think we need to go into this right now. Let's go to bed. Okay, what's like your I number said, two? Like I said, Tanba. Oh, yeah. Cool. I really liked that game as a kid. Tom, Tomba with a B, with an MB, I think. Tomba. Yeah. It was like, he was like this, it was like a 2D platformer on the original PlayStation, and you were like this jungle-dwelling Tarzan guy going around killing, like, evil pigmen. 
Yeah, you're like a caveman with pink hair and jump on pigs. It's very of that era. Yeah, it was very... Uh, when the fuck did it... Uh, June 30th, 1998 in North America. So that kind of... That kind of era of, like, 2D platformer. Like I said, never gonna happen. No, I don't... <laughs> who would even have the rights to that now? God, mm. I don't even... Uh, well, you know what? It's not about... It was, it was published by... And, it was published by the developer Whoopi Camp in Japan, but <laughs> distributed worldwide by Sony Computer Entertainment. Mm-hmm. Because it was like a, you know, it was a PS1 exclusive, so Sony kind of had their fingers in it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not about getting the literal IP. I think it's about getting that spirit, whatever it is that tells getting you the, about the original thing. Getting the yeah. feel of it. But like, so that's well, where it's sort like... Of, sort of like what? specifically how Bushido Blade is like a really like samurai movie-esque samurai game <laughs> yes where it's like people die in like one hit yeah and it's just fucking really dramatic maybe another tenchu game bet you i bet you an indie developer could make a good tenchu spiritual sequel cool video games are good yep all right occasionally that all, that's the only question yeah all right i think that's about wraps it up for this totally normal podcast totally normal socks cast yeah. Okay, so now that it's after midnight, Polly can pop in and be like, April Fools! <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, right? <laughs> um, it's still it's still 9pm for me. Poor Red is so sad. We are... Alright, All right, um... We are the podcast that loves you. We, wait, wait, no, we, we gotta do that. We gotta do the... <laughs> where can we find I'm you? I'm John Thire. You can find me at farawaytimes.com. Red... Where can we find you? In 3.tumblr.com. Taylor, where can we find you? Uh, Acid Rain, spelled R-E-I-G-N, dot tumblr.com. Deadly Gardens at Twitter. I probably won't let you follow me if you don't know any of my other friends. Uh, <laughs> and soundcloud.com slash western desolation. Where, cool. where you can listen to a standalone version of the uh, original soundtrack file for her lullaby. Ooh. Yes, and it's very good. All right, y'all. We are the podcast that loves you. We're the only ones that love you. Listen to more death grips. <laughs> 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 <laughs>